Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Monday morning, it's always lovely when Monday dawns like this. It's gorgeous out there. It's an absolute lasher of a morning, just like yesterday was an absolute lasher of a day. Unfortunately, uh, it's going to be followed by a devil of an evening and night with wind and rain warnings uh, coming our way. It's going to be a bad night tonight and an awful morning tomorrow. At least that's what the weather forecast is telling us as we speak. We know the way these things can change, but we shall see. I'd say have the rain gear ready for the morning. Good morning, 1857 The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up, there is a disturbing rumour concerning the future, or at least the state of play at Cork Airport uh, and there may well be something happening at Cork Airport later this week that the business sector will not want to see happening at all that's all I'll tell you in a, in a wee while, we've had some very good reliable information that makes us worried, shall we say we'll get to that, but first of all I want to get to start with, with COVID-19 I've moved my weekly summary of the numbers by the way from Monday to Tuesday because I get a bit more data in time for Tuesday. What we do know over the weekend is despite the figures still being very high nationally because Dublin remains a basket case Cork and Kerry and Kilkenny actually crushing it really doing well. We were down to a very low numbers or reasonably low numbers for the city and county again uh, last night and we've fallen out of that daily list of counties uh, that they give out, you know, Kerry 55, Cork 53, that kind of, we've fallen out of that list and we're doing very well in Cork and I promise I'll have a more in-depth look at the numbers in the morning and then this week we will have the COVID plan, the new COVID plan uh, that they're bringing forward, the Taoiseach will be publishing where the government intend to go from here, uh, how they intend to open up, we know what we'll get, we're going to get the schools opening first. The schools are everybody's priority. Get them opening on a phased basis from the 1st of March. That's the plan. Uh, of course, anyone going back to a special class this morning, uh, good luck to you. Back from the 1st of March on a phased basis. Then possibly construction in April, but again a phased basis. The Taoiseach gave an interview uh, to Radio Nogueltochter at the weekend, which threw a right cat among the pigeons, where he said that the hospitality sector won't open again until midsummer, and then yesterday, Philip Nolan, the, the modelling guy at Neffet, said on radio, "We should prepare for an outdoor summer." But what is true is the communication by government over the weekend has just been widely criticised: leaks and speculation, and newspaper interviews, and Leo wants to say this, and Michal wants to say that, and and people looking for a clear explanation and a plan that we can read and we can understand. Hopefully, we'll get that during the week. But my first guest this morning and my first guest on the Opinion Line this week on Cork's 96M is a member, another member, we haven't spoken to her before, of ISAG. 
uh, the Irish Independent Scientific Advocacy Group. And it's Professor Aoife McLeisett, an ISAC featured on the front page of the Irish Daily Mail today. Professor McLeisett, good morning to you. Good morning. And good to talk to you on the opinion line. You too. You warned recently that unless we get it right this time, we yeah. will be still living with restrictions into 2022. Well, yeah, <laughs> pretty depressing, isn't it? But I mean, I want to be the optimistic part of it is that there are things we can do. And I think, like you're saying there in your introduction, Cork and Kerry um, are very good examples of that this can be done and it can be achieved. I think the problem at the moment is that, and a lot of people see it, this current lockdown, even though we call it level five, isn't like we did in April last year. And the fact that we have this B117 variant, the so-called UK variant, that's much more transmissible. It just, it takes every little bit of space you give it. And so we shouldn't be giving it any space. But, you know, Cork and Kerry doing really well. And I think that's something that um, needs to be recognised. Um, you want to get the last little bit. There's a, there's a, in case that last bit, a few cases you have are B117. You'd want mm. to really get rid, stamp them out. But one thing that we'd be suggesting to the government is that they adopt what we call a green zone approach, which is when you get a county like Cork that gets their numbers under control, that they shouldn't be treated the same as Dublin because mm. Dublin is <laughs> a bit of a basket case, like you said. You know, the cases are worse in Dublin. It's a more difficult problem, perhaps, with the dynamics of the city and the place. But, you know, you should be talking about, well, maybe Cork could have a relaxation of restrictions that are specific to the county. But then mm. if you did that, of course, you'd have to be prepared to protect that. That would yeah. mean, you know, not letting the people from Dublin come in with the virus and ruin it all again. But there's there's a way to do these things. And I think that it'd be great for the people of Cork, but it'd also be great for the country because you'd be talking about having a really positive example because it is very dreary at the moment. Mm. You know, this idea that the lockdown is kind of never ending almost, but we're not, at the same time, we're not achieving enough, at least, you know, not um, uniformly throughout the country. The, the numbers in Dublin are still sufficiently high that if they were national numbers, they'd be worrying. And yeah. they're just Dublin numbers. You know, so um, there's, there's, this has to be fixed. It has to be got under control. But I think we have to look for those areas where we can do a bit more, um, especially, you know, where, where the, the numbers are really stubbornly high. But we also need to give some kind of optimism about there being a point to all of this and something you can achieve with all of this. And that's where I think that the green zone idea and the idea that, you know, regionally you can have a relaxation and you don't have to wait for the last county. Mm. <laughs> I, I spoke to your, your ISAG colleague, Professor Anthony Staines, about this a number of times, uh, the, yeah. the green zone policy. And we know that that works, for example, in Australia, where there are parts of a certain state that you're not supposed to go into and all that. But how do you police it, Eva? Well, yeah, this is, I mean, so we already have the Gardaí doing policing the 5K and they were policing the counties before. It would be up to, it would be up to the Gardaí to do it and to figure out the practicalities. I mean, it's worth trying and I think it's one of these things that they probably figure out a bit as they go. But if you don't do it at all, then you are talking about, you know, leaving everybody to be waiting for the last one. But um, I think it's a combination of the the Gardaí looking at the, you know, the main roads, and, um, you know, asking people where they're going, why they're going. The same thing they're doing at the moment with the, the 5K and when it was the county restrictions. Mm-hmm. Doing that, doing it a bit better. 
And then I think I kind of, I was talking about it before, like a bit of um, like the tidy towns mentality, but somebody else said to me, maybe better to think of GAA mentality <laughs> and, you know, the county pride. And I think part of that will help in terms of people will want this to work and will will be, in a sense, um, doing this voluntarily as well. You know, the Guardi often talk about uh, policing by consent. And I think when people know what we're aiming for, what what the point is, I think mm. that'll be really important in terms of compliance as well. I was looking at your tweets late last week and you, you, you made the comparison between this lockdown and the one that started early March last year, yeah. which was a far harsher lockdown. Yes. For an easier to tackle virus, <laughs> because yeah. the virus is. Do we need to now. go? Do we? Do you think we need to go back to the level we were at last March and April in terms of lockdown, i.e., two kilometres and everybody at home and a lot more shut down than is shut down? I do. Yeah, I think if we want to get back out of this rut we're in now and get out of it faster, then we need to go a bit harder. So that's the the principle. And, um, you know, so we have, we could do what we did last summer, our last spring summer. And if we did that, that would make a big difference. And we can add into that the things we've also learned in the meanwhile, which is also the importance of masks and the importance of ventilation. And these things help us as well. We know more than we did. And I think if we did something like that, we could actually get out of this faster. At the moment, the national numbers are really levelling off. The the decrease in numbers has really slowed down. Mm. And there's a concern that it's actually going back up again, potentially in Dublin. We don't know that for sure yet, but there's some concerning indicators. There's more GP referrals um, in the last couple of days. Maybe that's just a blip. But also the OR number, the famous OR number, is hovering around one. It could be slightly above or slightly below. You know, it's much better in Cork. I'm yeah. happy to tell your listeners. Um, but, you know, um, there's more that we need to do. But I, I would say I would rather um, have a more strict lockdown that lasted less time than doing what we're doing at the moment. Because at the moment, some people are doing everything. You know, some people are at home and, you know, not seeing anybody and doing all of these things. But a lot of people are being required to attend their workplace. Yes. So you can't have an employee unilaterally decide I'm working from home if their employer doesn't support it. And so I think the government needs to really mandate that people work from home. And many of those are public servants as well. We see various um, classes of public servants that are required to attend the workplace as well. Councillors, or sorry, um, people who work in the council um, are required to attend three days a week. You see um, HR departments of hospitals are required to attend. And we could, should be letting those people, in fact, we should be asking those people to work from home. It would, um, you know, it would give more of a push to get this mm. virus down. And we really need to because the numbers we have at the moment are, they're too much of a stress on the health system. And then, of course, we know all the, in the, all the knock-on consequences of that in terms of other services that aren't working as well as they could or should because the hospital is just doing what it can to deal with the, the COVID cases. And so we, we really need this to happen. And I think the faster, the better. I find it much easier to think about doing something that'd be much more of a lockdown for a shorter time instead of what we're doing at the moment. And uh, you're probably aware there are some people who have essentially been cocooned since yeah. this time last year. Yeah. And those people um, have no end in sight so long as the virus cases are high. And I think, you know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons we should be doing this. And for me, a short, sharp shock would be the way to go. Now, there are people who call and message this programme every day, 
Professor, and they say, we're already suffering, our mental health is suffering, our children are going demented from not being able to get out. They won't like the sound of you wanting to tighten it up further. Well, I think the way I would say it is um, that is getting all the pain without the gain. And so those people are probably the the examples I'm thinking of who are already doing everything that's possible. And then there's the, um, you know, so I think it's been, I've heard politicians too many times mention this idea of personal responsibility. I think every last drop has been squeezed out of personal responsibility. And those examples of your listeners' texts are exactly what I mean. People are doing everything and there's nothing more they have to give, which is why it has to be kind of structural from the government. So these workers, you know, who are in workplaces, making it easier to get tested, making it easier to isolate, and that can mean it's over faster. And that's the point. The the thing I would like to see is if we do it um, more thoroughly, across every aspect that we're capable of doing, then we we get it over faster. So this is a game of incremental gains. You know, this, no one thing solves everything, but every little thing we do adds up to contribute. And even just examples, you know, so you'll have heard over the weekend, they were talking about the possible, well, the the three cases of the P1 variant. The Brazilian one, Brazil, Yes, exactly. And um, I now that's supposed to be, that, I believe that that cluster is completely under control if we're listening yes, to Philip Norman. Yes. 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 Um, so those three cases, hopefully they are. Um, the, the thing, well, one extra thing we'd say about that is, you know, we, that's just, um, those individuals were identified because of their travel history from Brazil. And um, I think we have to also be aware that this could come in from elsewhere. But the point I wanted to make was, I saw, I saw what the text looks like that gets sent to somebody who's come in uh, with a travel history coming from Brazil. And they say, you know, please contact a GP for a test within the next five days. And then you think, why don't they just give them a test appointment? Why add an extra hurdle? Why send them a text to say, contact your GP to arrange a test? Why don't they just say, here is your test appointment? You know, adding extra hurdles. The people, so the people who are traveling from Brazil, some of them may be uh, not Irish citizens. They might not have a relationship with a GP. Maybe they've never attended a GP before or in, in, in Ireland. You know, so why create extra hurdles? We need to make everything as easy as possible to make everything work in our favour. So I think, and of course, I mean, it's a conversation for another day perhaps, but um, if you really want to avoid importing um, the variants that are these concerning variants that might make things even more difficult for us, we really need to be talking about having proper quarantine. Well, because, well let's, let's deal yeah. with that because it's something I plan to focus on in the yeah. next <clears throat> couple of days and indeed we've talked about the last few weeks because we now hear that it could be three weeks before anybody gets to be to be quarantined, they haven't booked hotels, and there's only a list of about twenty countries. Are we doing it right? No, <laughs> unfortunately, that's an easy question to answer. Um, I mean, so the the thing is, this should have been anticipated. It should have been thought about well before now. The idea that it takes time to do these things isn't news. The the point that they haven't started long ago is the problem. The um, Nefis and the CMO asked for mandatory quarantine as early as the 8th of May last Correct. year. I'm and, glad um, people are finally remembering that, Professor. Yes. <laughs> I'm very glad people yeah. are finally remembering that. Nefit asked because Nefit asked for mandatory hotel quarantine. I would have said June, but yeah, May, yeah. It was the 8th of May, the letter. And so the government should have been planning for this. And um, so we need to do it properly. We need it to be from people from any country, coming from any country, including potentially, you know, Irish citizens returning from holidays. They have to be quarantined too because it's not it's not a thing about foreigners or whatever. It's about travelling and bringing 
um, the virus back with you. It's what um, scuppered us last year. And there's an interesting study. So Professor Paddy Mallon, who works in uh, UCD and in Vincent's Hospital, did a study that just came out last week. I think it was. I saw it last week anyway, where they did um, they sequenced the genome of virus samples from the first wave and from the second wave, and they compared them. And as people are now aware, you can classify the virus into variants and you can notice the mutations yeah. in them and things like this. So they, they did this. They looked at the, the wave one and the wave two, and they see which, which variants are they, where do they fall in the categories. And they saw that we had a certain um, spread of variants that were here in wave one, and they totally disappeared. Our first lockdown got rid of all of the virus. And our second wave was what was predominantly what people were calling the Spanish variant at the time. So it was one that was first noticed in Spain and it spread throughout all of Europe, including here. And that was our second wave. If we had had hotel quarantine, we wouldn't even be having this conversation now. We would have protected the gains of our first lockdown. So I think we have to realise we can't make that mistake again. That came from people travelling within Europe, possibly Irish people going and coming back. So, you know, we have to do this right um, and you have to give people space to quarantine. So the idea that, you know, we talk about the outbreaks, say, in the the meat processing plants and things like this. Yeah. And these are not well-paid jobs. These are individuals. Are they avoidable, those outbreaks? Um. Well, yes, I think they, they, and so even part of it is the living conditions. I was about to say, like, the individuals are probably living in shared accommodation and the idea of any of them being able to quarantine or to isolate if they're a contact is pure nonsense. And so the, this whole thing you're talking about, oh, it's personal responsibility, personal responsibility. Some people do, literally don't have space to yeah. quarantine or to isolate. You have to give them that space. So we're asking people to do things that we know they can't do. And that's just not sensible at all. So the government needs to provide these facilities for people. You need to make things easy for people to do. And, um, you know, the idea of asking somebody who lives in shared accommodation with maybe, you know, probably a shared bathroom, definitely a shared kitchen, the idea that this person can quarantine or isolate is a nonsense. And then, of course, these other adults they're living with, they're potentially going to different workplaces. So you're talking about a workplace, um, a workplace outbreak becomes a household outbreak becomes other workplace outbreaks. And this is what we're talking about. It's all these chains of transmission. And this is, um, this is a problem as well. So we have to get serious about it. Mm. And by not doing that right, we are prolonging the misery. And so that misery that your, your listeners are mentioning is really real and it's really acute and it's prolonged by not doing all of the other bits that we could be doing. Yeah. And this is, like we say, it's, it's every little thing you do counts here. Everything will help. Even things that aren't perfect will help. And um, we need to really do everything because we need to get this, we do need to get this under control and get this, get us, ourselves back to a situation yeah. where we can open up the country in a stable way, not just for a couple of weeks, but stably and you know, get a lot of our normal lives back yeah. again. I mentioned that you're a member of ISAG and we've mm -hmm. had many members of ISAG on Anthony Staines and Jerry Killeen and, and Tomas Ryan and, and others. And every time we have a member of the group on, we start getting texts like this that say, ISAG are totally wrong. They believe mm -hmm. in zero COVID. It's fantasy from academics in ivory towers. They create a police state and it's, and, we also hear we can't. We are not New Zealand. We couldn't <laughs> do that. The one, I, my favourite one, is but 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 the border. Yeah, like we, get we couldn't. Well, I suppose to be fair, 
it's not as simple as just shutting everything down when we have a border with another, not just another country, but, but outside the EU now. Um, sorry, so you mean you're talking about with other EU countries now as well? No, saying? I'm talking about Ireland. We couldn't do oh. zero here. Um, well, we could. And, you know, it's just a matter of uh, doing it, actually. So the border obviously makes it difficult, but... Um, the Northern Ireland uh, Executive or Assembly, the Health Committee there, adopted the zero COVID approach um, philosophy or policy unanimously way back um, in the early days of this. So, um, and we've been claiming all along that Northern Ireland was the problem, where actually, um, you know, the UK have stricter quarantine rules than us now. Um, so there's all of these. I think it's been used as an excuse to not even try, which is really unfortunate. So the idea that we can't do it is just defeatist. And I don't know um, where you end up when you don't try because, um, you know, people talk about the virus becoming endemic. Um, and if, But, you know, endemic is a, a phrase that covers, a word covers a lot. You know, you can talk about something becoming endemic, but endemic at what level if people are talking about it becoming endemic? Endemic just means it's, you know, there at a persistent level. Mm. It can be there at a persistently low level or a persistently high level. And I think when people are... Com- criticizing the zero COVID idea. They're not comparing it to any alternative. It's hard. Zero COVID is hard, um, but there's no easy solution here. And so the idea then that you couldn't ever achieve it in Ireland is very defeatist. And um, we basically achieved it last year. We didn't protect our gains by, because we didn't actually um, mm. quarantine people returning to the country. Well, Cork and um, Kerry both got to zero last year. Yes, yes. And you're nearly doing it again. And I mean, why should you... I mean, I'd be feel very aggrieved <laughs> to be dragged down and then by, by the lack of... Um, by the lack of follow-through, you know, to, to protect that gain. And then, you know, I think this is a thing where it is, it is a hard problem because if you see it like a huge problem, it looks impossibly, overwhelmingly enormous. But if you say, could Cork get to zero? I think people agree, yes, you could. You're, you're heading the right direction now. Mm. And, you know, and you could keep going, you can get all the way. Could Leitrim get to zero? Yes, they could. Um, you know, and you can talk about could various counties, could they get to zero? Yes. And you can say, well, if, if, if a county can do it, if a region can do it, then why can't you just um, get other counties and regions to do it too? And so it all starts local. It's a big problem, uh, but it starts local and you make these local achievements, local gains, and you protect those. And then the, that zone, that green zone spreads eventually to cover the whole country. The, um, the things that will help us as well, I mean, in Northern Ireland, as we know, they have, their vaccination program is proceeding well. And the vaccines aren't the whole solution, but they really, really help in, mm. they help everything. So, um, and one of the things that's really good news about the vaccines that we didn't know before is that it looks like they are helping in um, preventing transmission. Yes. Pfizer one anyway. The stuff coming out of Israel is very interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's really, really good news because that makes it so much easier to get to zero, actually. And if you get to zero, if you use, if you use all of the tools at your disposal, including the vaccine, you knocking your and breaking all these chains of transmission, you get to zero much easier and faster. And then we're talking about not having to live with this. And I see that as the most appealing, um, most appealing and most long-term stable solution. But if people, if their alternative is, they say that they want this to be an endemic virus, well then it has to be endemic at a very low level. We can't have endemic at a high level. 
Um, so that that has to be, you know, you can't just compare, you can't just criticise one uh, strategy and not compare it with something else. You know, we, we'd all love to be back in 2019 when this didn't even exist. Yeah. But we can't do that. We have to deal with it from where we are. And um, the the advantage of getting the cases right down so that you're talking about getting towards zero, where you're talking about zero mystery cases, you know, it means you know where the virus is um, and you, you catch it, you contain it, and you stamp out the chains of transmission. The high levels we have at the moment, you know, that's just not possible. But when you get the numbers low and then you resource the public health units, um, then the public yeah. health doctors, you know, that particular speciality of medicine, which is looking at population health and the groups, they can do amazing work if they're properly resourced. And it's a scandal. They haven't been properly yeah. resourced yet. I mean, even here we are. I mean, they should have been well resourced even before this pandemic, but that we're so far into this pandemic and they still um, well, haven't given them what they need. If you look at what Irish public health doctors, Aoife, finally are achieving all over the world, the likes of mm. Niall Conroy in Queensland, if you look at what they're achieving, yeah. Why we're not resourcing them properly here remains a mystery. I, I hope we'll speak again sometime soon. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line this morning. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. That's Professor Aoife McLeisett, Professor of Genetics at Trinity College. And yes, a member of the We Can Be Zero group. And I know people get odd with me for insisting on talking to the zero people. But guess what? I look at New Zealand and I want that. I look at Australia and I want that. I want to go to a rugby match. I want to go on my holidays. I want to spend time with my family. I want to do all the things that they're doing in New Zealand and Australia and Taiwan and Vietnam and many other parts of the world now. I want to do that and I want to do it soon. And I will do whatever it takes to get there. 1850-715-996. Can she ever stop saying we and point the finger at the government? The huge majority of people have been very compliant we cannot do any more than stay indoors, work from home and cocoon. It's the people hanging around in gangs and the other groups like workers in meat factories and those coming in for other reasons who are not quarantining. We've invited this in three times. Italy, Spain and the UK. Yeah, Bernie, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And the little sort of a half-arsed attempt at hotel quarantine that we're looking at will just cause more problems. It is half-arsed. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. And I'm speaking later today with an Australian professor who will tell us why it won't work as they're planning it now. Morning, PJ. These continuous lockdowns are becoming much akin to a film of the 80s, Rocky 1, 2 or 3. Trust the Irish to make a balls of lockdown in the same way we ruined the country in the form of the Celtic Tiger. What we need is unity, not cherry-picking. 1857-1599 says, Katie says the government have failed completely. All the Brazilian meat workers went home for Christmas. And they're all being left back in again. This isn't sustainable. A survey in a Sunday paper showed over 2,000 travelled here from Brazil recently. A good chance of the claimed three cases. Yeah, you're not wrong. People saying I, pro- I vote for Professor Aoife for Taoiseach. PJ Dublin should be on lockdown. Nothing in and nothing out. But you can see the like of the meat plants bringing people in from Brazil. Another lockdown isn't going to work. Businesses will close down and lock up for good. And a lot of jobs will be lost. And again, I say totally wrong. They believe in zero COVID. Fantasy from academics in ivory towers. It's a police state. It's no laughing matter. Well, I would beg to differ with you and I'd say that uh, Evie, who we spoke to in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago about her life out there and and uh, and, and Barry, who we spoke to in, 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 um, in Tasmania a couple of weeks ago about his life out there, it could be done. 
it absolutely could be done and I will hear no argument against it like the kind of flannel we got from Billy Keller here on Friday absolute flannel about the border the border the border give the border to the public health doctors as a public health region that'll sort it out and don't start with me about the DUP don't start with me about the DUP Terry worked <laughs> alongside the DUP for long enough in his last job up in Belfast they're difficult to deal with but you know what isolate them politically isolate them 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 Toyota see lehanmotors.ie Cork's 96FM's Select Irish JC Stewart Hey I'm JC Stewart Leah Hart Hey I'm Leah Hart Can you play being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash select Irish. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96FM. Well, tell you, my social media yesterday was full of people talking about huge crowds. I was out for a walk myself yesterday with the dog, and I happened to pass the park in Douglas, um, the community park in Douglas. And to say it was busy was an understatement. The playground was like a beehive in the community park in Douglas yesterday afternoon and I kind of thought oh, I'm worried about that I'm worried about that Do you know, and that's what he feel like Elisha is saying this is not a lockdown like we had last spring we had no playgrounds open we had no parks open we had none of those places open we had two kilometres to get out let alone the luxury of five and she's right more and more far more people were working from home and there's a lot of people we hear bosses saying no you've got to come in you've got to come in you've got to come in People who did their job perfectly efficiently from home in the first two lockdowns are being dragged into work now. Why? Because their bosses are control freaks. That's the way I look at that. 185715996. Now, there's a story brewing, my friends, at Cork Airport that worries us here at the Opinion Line. And we've been working on it. Fergal's been doing a lot of legwork on this in the background. And what I'm about to tell you uh, is uncertain at the moment, but it's out there. So you may or may not know that the main runway at Cork Airport is due to be resurfaced this year. That's out there. That's a fact. A tender is to be awarded and a contract signed probably in the next month or so, around April, we think. And the work is due to take place in September. And it will involve resurfacing the runway, which is a massive job, as you'd appreciate now, standard practice around the world, particularly in strategic airports, and important airports like Cork, is that this work is done by night. So obviously the airport operates by day and then closes, and the main element of the work is done by night. There's a very strong rumour circulating that this work will not be done by night, 
and that in order to save money, it could be done by day. The saving would be a few million, nothing more. So we contacted, Virgil contacted the airport last week on foot of this information. And he received a statement back from the airport, which said that the runway reconstruction and remediation project will be the single biggest construction project, etc., etc., since the opening of the terminal building, etc., etc. Cork Airport is advancing its critical long-term, again, etc., etc. Cork Airport currently examining a number of options in relation to the delivery of this vital reconstruction scheme. It's in the middle of a public procurement program to rebuild the runway and airside electrical and this goes on and on. But nowhere in the statement does it clarify our question that this work might not be done by night. The statement, reading over it a couple, does not clarify or does not address the question that it may or may not happen by night. Now, we then heard from what I would only describe as a highly, and protecting this person with, with, with everything we have, a highly dependable source regarding the airport, highly dependable, has informed the opinion line on Cork's 96FM that no decision has been made regarding day or night and nothing will be ruled in or out until a contract is signed, presumably, in April which suggests to us that the tender document didn't specify this work be done by night. Which means that it's not off the table that the airport could be closed by day in September for weeks on end at a time when we hope, through vaccination and other such programmes, that we'll be able to get flying again. Now, for business organisations and for anyone, anyone using the airport, this is... Very, very worrying. Owen O'Sullivan is the president of the Corp Business Association. Again, Owen, we're going on the information to hand, which is very dependable and very worrying. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What do you think of this? Look, I suppose for anybody hearing that Cork Airport could potentially be closed for a number of weeks or months is is worrying. Uh, And I think it would, would give a lot of people a bit of a shock. And I think it prompted me to do a, a, a bit of research on behalf of our members. And we'd have a, an extremely strong working relationship with Cork Airport, which has been built up over the last number of years. And I think the discussion today, which is a very valid discussion, and thank you for highlighting it for, for many people listening that would have a vested in, interest in, in Cork City and Cork Airport. So we're discussing, is it better to do it over, a, say, a three-month period um, and you said September. I've heard July, August, September potentially, mm. and or it could be done over a nine-month period, uh, which, as you highlight, highlighted there, could be very costly or could cost a lot more. Um, and I suppose the the impact of that uh, closing by day and the impact and role and impact of that uh, for Cork City and the implications it may have. But just, I suppose, maybe just to highlight, and, and, and we're not comparing apples and apples here, and it's not uh, normal um, trading times or an economic setting for Cork Airport or for Cork City, for that matter. We we normally have, uh, on average, about 7,000 passengers coming through Cork Airport, uh, say, in 2019 figures. That's on average. 
at the moment, PJ, we're up around 40 per day. Yeah. So that's 40 people coming through, and that's operating off one um, one carrier, which is flying out of London Heathrow. Uh, so look, to say that the aviation industry uh, is has been decimated over the last 12 months is an understatement. So if you were if if you were coming to me in 2019 and saying that look we're thinking about closing the airport for three months, you'd probably be horrified and you'd say that is going to have a severe impact on Cork City and and Ireland, the 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 the, the whole state would would be affected. But when you do the maths, so even if it took three months uh, to do this project, and I'm not saying I'm pro. Uh, day or night, I'm just giving the facts, and I I hope that I explain myself clearly yeah. because a lot of our members are are listening today. As it's a very important issue, but if we're doing the maths on 40 passengers per day, that's over a three month period. That's just shy of 4,000 passengers, which is about a half a day's normal trade for Cork Airport. So, Cork Airport, uh, Neil McCarthy and the senior management team in Cork Airport recently secured funding of over 13 million euros of taxpayers' money. And a lot of your listeners will be interested to know today, uh, and they'd want to know if that money was being spent wisely. Mm. So if, if we can invest, and it's, and it's, it's not just a refurb or, and fixing a couple of potholes on the runway, no, it's a no. complete reconstruction uh, job, and it's a big body of work uh, for Cork Airport, which every airport across the world has to do, um, every, say, 20 years, I was told. So if we can do the job now, um, and like a lot of business people can relate to this uh, because so many business owners are doing a lot of work to their own premises while they're in lockdown and while they're closed over the last number of months so that we'll be ready to reopen and, and, and welcome and welcome, uh, welcome our customers back mm. through uh, our gates. Um, so I think... Are you, are you suggesting to me, Owen, because it sounds like you are, that look, given that the state of the aviation industry and given that Cork Airport is, with all due respect to it, more like a cemetery than an airport at the moment, and that's such a sad thing to see, mm. that maybe it might be prudent? Well, I think there will, there will not be a decision made lightly here. And I think uh, Neil McCarthy and the senior management team in Cork Airport have been working extremely hard over the last number of years of building Cork Airport up to be one of the fastest growing airports in the country. Yes. So they're they're fighting tooth and nail for Cork and Cork Airport. So I would be very confident that the decision that is made is is made in the best interest of Cork Airport and yeah. Cork. So... Would it be prudent, as you said, to have a sharp, short, cost-effective solution to Cork Airport's runway problem over a three-month period and get the job done and let's get back to business as soon as possible? Then maybe that's the right and correct decision to make. But if it's over a nine-month period and it costs another couple of million, which which is hard come by in these times, uh, and uh, like as I said before, they, Neil McCarthy and his team fought tooth nails for that 13 million. Mm. They can't spend that uh, willy-nilly. So it's important that we get this project done in the most cost-effective manner. Would a statement of clarification, because like I said, the statement that was issued to us on our query uh, doesn't specify uh, day or night, which was the question we asked. But but our extremely Mm. well-placed internal source said to us that no decision has been made, nor will be made, until a contract is... is, 
is signed. Now, are you suggesting that Donald McCarthy and his crew should make a statement of some kind clarifying the situation? I'd imagine, I'd imagine, you see, they're in process of tendering for, for this body of work in the airport, which is one of the biggest projects the airport will undertake uh, in the next 10 years. So it's, it's, it's probably the main focus for them at the moment is to get, uh, get the job done uh, on budget without disruption, uh, without as much disruption as they can. And I think, PJ, um, at this point in time, when we have such little traffic coming through the airport, I don't, I, I can't see a better time to do the job. Yeah. And it was, it was meant to be done in 2022, but it has been moved forward because of that reason. And um, there's other projects that need to be done and have been done uh, on the baggage claim in Cork Airport, which, which is all positive news for, for Cork, Cork mm-hmm. Airport. And look, I, I think for me and the Cork business community. While we would not like to see any business, uh, including Cork Airport, closing, but I think when you when you measure it up and weigh it up, I think getting it done uh, in a short period of time so we can get back to normal trade. And I think for the overall industry, hospitality industry, which is directly affected by tourism yeah. and is linked to Cork Airport, there are so many people that the focus this year, PJ, as you well know, is the staycation model again. Yes. Uh, foreign travel is, is really off the table. Getting out of her uh, county would be a bonus at this stage, John. Exactly. And listening to your previous, um, your previous guest, like being in restrictions in 2022, it, look, I think um, on behalf of, of, of my members and speaking on the research that I've done um, over the last um, day or two, uh, I think that it would be vital that we get this job done mm-hmm. as soon as possible and with the funds that we have. Because we could be talking about a, a different story here, PJ, that we don't have the funds to yep. do this. Yes, indeed we could. So, Just before I let you go, Owen, um, and uh, on the subject of hospitality in general, when the Taoiseach uh, said on Radio Nogrel Doctor at the weekend that it could be midsummer before mm-hmm. hospitality opened. And then yesterday when Philip Nolan from Neffet said we're looking at an outdoor summer, I'd say it sent a cold shiver up the spine of many of your members. I, I, the one, I suppose, criticism I would have of, of the government, and I think we've been working hand in hand with them over the last 12 months uh, through my role in the CBA, and the one criticism I've had over and over again is, is communication has been extremely poor. Like, so many people's livelihoods depend on having a good summer, and it was the same at Christmas. And look, we can, we can, we can debate whether reopening was the right thing to do or not, the, the wrong thing to do at Christmas. Mm. But I think, the, I think the case numbers speak for themselves there. Right? I think that if, 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 we knew, if, we had knew, if we had known coming into Christmas that the cases were going to go so high, I don't think we would have reopened. I think we all know that. But for, uh, from my business perspective, with my business association hat on, retailers are... That was an essential trading period for retailers that carried that is carrying them through and hopefully will get them to reopening again. And it's the same with hospitality. The summer is so critical for the hospitality sector that we need to have some form of a trade for the summer in a safe environment that we can keep going and keep people in jobs, which is the number one focus for so many people because the leakage of talent in the hospitality sector is something that is very worrying and there's, a, there's very little people going into 
um, careers. They're not going into courses in, in college that result in careers in the hospitality sector. So there will be a gap in talent, which is worrying. Uh, and it's, it's another thing that the CBA is calling on and supports again for, mm. for the hospitality sector to keep people in jobs. And that's the number one aim. Okay, I'll leave it there for today. Maybe, Owen, when the when the program is published this week, we, we might talk again about what it looks ahead and what, 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 it, what it predicts. Thank you very much. Owen O'Sullivan, President of the Cork Business Association. I think that the, the hint I'm getting from him there is, look, if this work at the airport has to be done by day as a more prudent exercise, then so be it. Now might be an opportunity to do it, seeing as things are so quiet wonder how that's going to work out. As I said, no decision made is our is our advice. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off. Fire all Takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Rather a sad tweet at the weekend from Kevin Ahern, who owns. Sage Restaurant in Middleton. Um, Kevin tweeted that for the first time in 20 years, I'm not sure I want a restaurant anymore. Tough times, Kevin. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I, I felt sad for you at the weekend because is it is it down to the uncertainty that you don't know what's happening? Yeah, I suppose it was just kind of a, I won't say as much an, an outcry, but it was just it was an expression of how he was feeling at the time and I suppose how a lot of us in the industry are feeling at the time, and I suppose it was just kind of sharing a thought to, you know, let my my colleagues know that I suppose we're not alone, you know. Yeah, when the, when the Taoiseach said at the weekend that it might be midsummer before hospitality can reopen. Yeah, well, look, that's very disappointing. But at the end of the day, someone has to make a decision on safety, and you know, it, is, it has to be a case of safety. When is the last time you traded? Livelihoods is what we're talking about. It's not the case of opening a restaurant. It's letting people get along with their livelihood. And, you know, it's not going to go away. We're going to have to open at some stage. Somebody Mm. needs to put in the precautions that we can open safely. And that kind of needs to be sooner rather than later, in my own opinion, especially outside restaurants. Uh, Not so much maybe inside, but, um, you know, give us the chance to trade outside at least. Mm. When was the last time you traded? Um, the 23rd of December. Okay, and that was yeah. outside, wasn't it? The right. 23rd of December, I can't even remember at this stage. but No, I think, yeah, the 23rd was outside. We were outside on the 23rd, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which wasn't exactly a great time of the year to be trying to do it outside, like the food no, is cold before the day comes. I do think that's sweet as well, though, like the expression of, um, there was a lot, of, like, there was not one... Sorry, Kevin, your line there broke. Just, there was so much compassion that came back 
from like the hundreds of messages over the weekend. I've even had like a lot of colleagues in the industry texting saying, you know, it was so great, wasn't it, seeing everybody, you know, having a, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for? Being a bit compassionate, I suppose, the, the way we are in and what we're in at the moment, you know? Oh, listen, you know, as, as as someone who wants to do some, I so desperately want to do something which was a little Friday tradition for me here uh, for years. Uh, I finished a little bit earlier on a Friday and I love to go for a bit of fish and chips on a Friday for myself. Yeah. It's just a treat. And I haven't been able to do it for months. And it's, 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 I, if I miss it, God almighty, how, how much must the, must the industry miss it? Interestingly enough, one of the first replies on your thread was from another industry that is really struggling and really suffering over the last year or so. Stay there, Kevin. Uh, Mike Hanrahan of Stockton's Wing. Mike, good morning to yeah. you. morning, PJ. Nice to talk to you again. You too, sir. You were one of the first people who, who, who came back to, to Kevin because your industry, your industry has been battered, senseless, hasn't it? Yeah, we've had a, we've, it's been really, really tough. Um, we haven't had a gig at all. We haven't been trading in, in any shape or form. Uh, we're relying on the PUP to keep us going and our own I don't know, our own ability to just survive. And I guess that's what I felt with Kevin. I know Kevin quite well. Mm. And I love his food. I, I when I was in Cork, I ate there quite a lot. And I know his passion because I was there when he when he started his business. So I got what he was saying. And I said to him, just we do what we do. And that's this is why we do it, because we love to do it. And I do felt, I felt that he, his, his cry was so... Was was heard by so many people in different industries who are suffering at the moment, and it was it was timely and it was welcome, and I I, I really get where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, you haven't played either with Stockton or on your own since when, Mike? I'm coming up to my last gig was the end of, of uh, February last year with Maura O'Connell in uh, in New York, and I've done two gigs, two of those. Um, online gigs uh, live to an audience of a cameraman and a soundman and and they were just they weren't really nice at all you kind of miss that sense of the connection with the audience and communicating but I've kept myself busy I haven't been I, I, I've, I've I've retrained myself I've, I educate myself every day I teach myself how to work this new digital system called Pro Tools so I try to keep, I try to get up in the morning and just do the best you can and get through the day. But believe me, there are moments every day of, of our lives uh, for us who are out and not able to work. There's that questioning, what, where is it all leading to? So you need to just get beyond that uh, kind of hump and then just be active. That's all. That, that, my only ad- advice to anybody is just get up in the morning and just start doing things. You know, look for things to do. There. Mm. What, what's your message you as, as as the government prepares to? Reveal where we go for the next couple of months, or speculate on where we might go for the next couple of months. What, 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 what would you both say? First, you, Mike. Well, the government are it's frustrating. What the government are doing? They're, they're firing money at the music industry. It's going into just a few coffers. It's not been spread down down the line to the people who really need it as well. Fair play to the people who get the, the, the grants and get the gigs. I really hats off to them, but it's not spread evenly. So. Until they start looking at how to fund our industry in these times, because they never had to. We, all grants were, we, I went after grants at gigs, that's what paid my way. Suddenly my grant system was a brick wall, and the only thing that was open to me was to go and, I'd like, beg, begging ball, looking for money from the government. And very few of us got anything from the government. So I would say, 
in future terms, if they're going to try and learn going forward, they've got to educate themselves better on how best to support people in our industry and in the food industry. All those industries, entertainment, that's what we do. Kevin and myself, we entertain people with our our gifts. And the government have to try and find some way to support us much better than they are. And Kevin, yourself? I just think we need to be a little bit careful now that it's gone on for so long that you kind of get, when you're, you're constantly told you can't do something and when you're not doing it day in, day out, you kind of fall into a different routine. And I, I just kind of fear at the moment that this has gone on for so long in our industry, whether it be a bar, restaurant, and, and every other industry as well. Like, you know, like we are all in the same storm, but we're riding different boats. And I think it's just people just need to be, we all just need to be a little bit careful and kind of... You know, look over our shoulders at our friends and our family and make sure that they're okay and that we're not falling into a bad routine. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave and it we're there. we're going to get back into the routine that we were in, you know, and keep, that's what, try and keep it as positive as possible. Yeah. Like, it was the same with that tweet the other night. I wasn't trying to be negative in any way. No, whatsoever. no, no, you, you, you were reaching out and, yeah, and, just, and you got the support and it's great to forward, see it. Yeah, and just yeah. realising that we just need to move forward. All right, listen, thank you both. Kevin Ahern of Sage restaurant in Middleton and Mike Hanrahan of uh, the Great Stockton's Wing. Thank you both. 1850 And you know the way you do it? You chase it down and chase it down and chase it out. So people who tell me that we can be zero is nonsense, these guys could be back working in a very short space of time if we use that policy. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Two people responding to the airport story, which, as we say at the moment, our information is that there is no decision made on what will happen with the airport reconstruction of the runway later this year. We know it's to happen. We know that contract is due to be signed around April time. Uh, We do not know whether that work will be carried out by night, as it normally would be in a major strategic airport like Cork, or by day, which would effectively shut the airport for a period of a number of months. We do not know because the statement issued uh, to us from the airport uh, didn't clarify whether or which, even though we asked the airport to clarify whether or which, but our uh, well-placed and highly dependable source within the airport tells us that no decision has been made nor will be made until the contract is actually signed. I'll bring you some of the comments on that a little bit later on. 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 83 396 the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots of responses as well to Professor Aoife McLeisett, who I spoke to in the first hour. I'll come back to them. But if you missed anything from our first hour this morning, you can catch up with it this afternoon on our podcast, which is released usually between 2 and 3. We uh, tweet the link first as soon as it's ready and then it'll drop to all your various platforms very quickly after that, including the Cork's 96FM app. And if you are one of the people who listens to us on the podcast, wherever you are in Ireland or indeed the world, best way to get us is opinion at 96fm.ie. The Green Party, uh, Eamon Ryan, Minister for the Environment, says that there will be a consultation on a national ban on the sale of smoky coal and the burning of smoky coal. Now, a national ban. We've had a smoky coal ban in Cork City for a number of years. We've had one in Dublin for a number of years. 
It was actually, believe it or not, it was Mary Harney. That'll tell you how long ago, when she was a junior minister for the environment, it was Mary Harney who brought in the smoky coal ban in Cork and, and in Dublin. And that's not today nor yesterday. But now the possibility is that there will be a national ban on the sale and burning of smoky coal. First came into Dublin in 1990. Also, Eamon Ryan says that the sale of other solid fuels like unseasoned wood or wet wood could also be banned. The Department of Environment, Climate and Communications has said there should be measures then to help people move towards less polluting ways to heat their homes. And the commitment to a retrofitting programme for home insulation included in the Climate Action Plan. For many people, burning solid fuel is the main or the only way they have to heat their homes. There are thousands of houses around this country, thousands of family homes, whose only way of heating it is a fireplace or something related to a fireplace. So what do you burn when you can't burn coal? Let us talk to Tim Minette of CPL Industry. Uh, he's glad the minister has decided to to bring this ban in or to look towards bringing it in. Tim, good morning to you. Good morning. Why Why would you be... It would be a, and the, the only source of heat for a lot of households around the country. Would it not be imposing hardship upon them to ban it? No. The, a ban on coal has been talked about in Ireland earnestly since 2017 and since that time CPL and four other Irish companies have put in place manufacturing facilities to produce low smoke fuels though those fuels are about 30% more efficient than coal and about about 20% more per tonne more expensive so hence they're about 10% better value you don't need to believe me you can go on the SEAI website and see that these fuels are better are better value. So the fuels can be burnt in any in any appliance, any any open fire, any stove in which you can burn coal. And and in most stoves they burn better than coal. In most applications they burn better better than coal. And so, they're not more expensive than coal for people on a fixed income. It's it's a sort of diesel versus petrol ar- ar- argument. They're they're more per ton, but they last longer. So they are they are lower cost in terms of the heat you get and the value that that, that you get. Mm. The first smoky coal ban, as I mentioned there, was brought in in Dublin in 1990. I think in Cork we followed a few years later. You reckon it's time just to bite the bullet now and ban it completely? At the moment, any any town that's got over 10,000 right. people in Ireland has actually got a, has got a, a smoky coal ban. Mm. But it's largely ineffective. It's reasonably effective in places like Dublin, although Dublin has very significant exceedances in terms of its pollution. Um, but this patchwork quilt, as I call it, doesn't doesn't work because people can simply drive just outside the town, they buy some coal, they drive it back in, they burn it, uh, and you can see that rural towns that have got smoky coal bans have got extremely high high pollution because it's just with the limited resources available from local government or whatever, it's just impossible to, to enforce. Mm. So the national ban has been really the only way forward in terms of enforcement and in terms of moving forward with air quality. Yeah, because I would argue, maybe you disagree with me, that a, a person burning coal in, in their little house out in the country where their nearest neighbour is a mile and a half away, so they're not hurting anybody. That's, to be fair, that's less effect. 
but you, but you, but the problem is that it's just so difficult to enforce. So you you get the most effect. I mean, rural towns in Ireland have got very poor air quality in the winter's evenings. There's loads of studies of this. The Sapphire, um, the Sapphire study performed some some years ago by um, by University College Cork. Um, was the leader in this really in many ways and you can demonstrate that towns like in a scorty and have seven to ten times the permissible levels of pm 2.5 on a, mm. on a winter's evening so this is a this is a big health issue and you know there's there's 1300 1400 people a year dying prematurely in ireland derived from pm 2.5 pollution in the air so it's a very important health and environmental issue and coal peat briquette and wet wood represent about 40 to 50 percent of those pm 2.5 emissions so they're very big you know very big issues to get hold of in terms of improving air quality and health in ireland tweet from a listener kevin he says smokeless coal is and i use his word not mine smokeless coal is crap i use both it doesn't last longer and it is more expensive yeah okay everybody can have their opinion there are just hundreds and hundreds of test, test results that will show you that, that including the, the independent people like the SEAI that show you that the, that the smoky coal does last less longer and burn with greater efficiency. Um, the trouble with coal is it burns with a lovely big flame but the heat's going straight up the chimney as opposed to coming nicely radiated out into the room. So there's a lot of evidence to say that the fuels burn, uh, burn much more efficiently and provide better value including Recent studies performed in the UK by DEFRA themselves prior to the UK following a very similar route and banning coal by 2023. Yeah. Another call here. We came into the smokeless fuel category this year. I presume it's from one of those towns of more than 10,000 people. So far, it's more expensive. There's more ash. It's more difficult to start and light and get it going, and it creates more dust. It'll be, to be fair, compared with the high volatile coal, it'll be a little more difficult to start. Once it started again, well, what I've said prior to that stand, it, it, it'll burn with greater efficiency and, and and last longer. The ash level, as it is with coal, is really dependent dependent upon the quality of uh, of the fuel that, that that you've purchased. Okay. All right. Leave it there for today. Thank you very much. That's uh, Tim Minot from uh, CPL Industries obviously a proponent of smokeless coal and he believed that the ban on on smoky coal is a good thing, the one that Eamon Ryan is planning. Um, He's falling out already with Fianna Fáil. Barry Cowan said they won't agree to a ban on turf cutting or burning. Uh, That's another ban. Uh, They want to ban turf cutting and turf turf burning. Uh, Timmy Dooley also of uh, Senator Timmy Dooley of Fianna Fáil is supporting that. Uh, Derek Leary Supporting that, that uh, in, it's a big issue, but go the next step would be banning, would be disproportionate. I don't think they'll get it through. They're not in favour of the ban on smoky coal being nationwide, and they certainly aren't in favour of the ban on turf cutting either. 1850 715 996. But that's where we're going. I have a gas fire. So, and they'll probably stop me doing that eventually at some point. But I have a gas fire, so I haven't used a coal fire in a very long time. Um, so I don't know what it's like to make or clean out a fire and to try to be relying on it for my heat. Thankfully, I have gas. I'd just like to know if any, anybody who does light a coal fire these days, is the smoky coal or the, is the smokeless fuel easier or harder to light? 
Is it more or less expensive? Does it work better, last longer, and is easier to clean? What? 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 Tell me, because I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Because as I said, I haven't, I haven't had a coal fire since my mother's front room. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Be with me for the biggest tunes across your afternoon. I'll give you all things Cork. I'll make sure you're all over those online viral trends. It's good, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Plus, there's always a chance to be a winner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't miss out. Make it part of your afternoon routine in Cork. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Conceal. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Mary or Marie burns smokeless coal. Wouldn't see much of a difference when lighting it. It doesn't cause her any problems. As regards the heat, it gives off great heat when it is lit. It is a bit expensive, all right. But if I had a choice of going back to the smoky stuff, I'd stick with smoke less. 1850-715-996. There is a fascinating story that has been bubbling on for a while now. And the Taoiseach, according to yesterday's newspapers, I think I saw it on the Sunday Business Post, or it might have been one of the other ones. I can't know. I was reading them all at various stages yesterday where the Taoiseach has now intervened directly to come to the aid, if he can, of father of four, Richard O'Haran, who is stranded in China since 2019. He can't leave. He went there in February of 2019, which is two years ago now, to resolve a dispute between his employers and the authorities in China. And since then, he has been detained and is trying to get out. And he can't. Uh, Michael Kingston is is a friend of Richard O'Halloran. Michael, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. You might be able to bring me up to speed as to the background here. Who is he? What does he do? And why is he stuck in China? Um, well, um, basically, Richard was um, is involved in the aviation industry, and eighty percent of the world's, uh, or around that figure of the world's aviation is registered in, in Ireland um, because of our low corporation rate and we have built up significant um, experience and capability and so a lot of foreign companies have a subsidiary in Ireland. So he was running a company called China International Avi- Aviation Leasing Service um, on behalf of a um, Chinese parent company and um, during the course of his work for issues that happened before he assumed his role with that company. Um, The owner in China um, was um, investigated for um, the manner in which funds were raised to to support the purpose of the company, which was to buy um, airplanes and then lease them. And 
um, peer-to-peer funding was used, crowdfunding from the public, and the Chinese clamped down on that and retrospectively um, um, investigated the owner in China and decided to bring charges against him. So Richard was running the arm in Ireland, and he was... um, they owned a plane which is um, the subject of the current problem because it's leased out to uh, Finnair. So he went to China to assist in the in good faith. Um, perhaps in hindsight, it might not have been the best thing to do, but it, the fact yeah. is he went there in good faith. Yeah, and um, he gave evidence in the um, trial of the owner Min Jidong in China, who's now been sentenced, I think, to ten years for um, for the activities in China, and there is no question marks over any impropriety of um, Richard O'Halloran, but he's being held effectively as an economic hostage um, because the Chinese want the proceeds of the sale of the aeroplane, etc., to be repatriated, but he's not in a position to do that because it's mortgaged and it's leased out to Finnair, and, and he can't act in contravention of Irish corporation law, so he's in an impossible situation. So even though the Chinese want him to, they want him to do something that he actually cannot do, and even though there is no allegation of any wrongdoing on on, on his part, he's being held by the Chinese until he does what, well, they want him to, which he can't do. So he really is caught, isn't he? Yeah, I mean it's an it's an impossible um, um, situation. So, you know, he originally um, went there, as you say, in end of February, beginning of March, two thousand and nineteen, and um, the situation has been has has been hasn't changed since. In fact, it's worsened because um, Cal's um, International Aviation um, Ireland were trying to facilitate the sale of the aeroplane. Um, in order to be able to repay the mortgage and send funds to China. But, of course, the bottom fell out of the aviation um, uh, market this time last year, so the plane is halved in value and is less possibly, is worth about the amount of the mortgage, if not less. So um, the Chinese have now um, sort of almost put a personal price on Richard O'Halloran's head that he finds the amounts that um, they suggest ought to be repatriated to China. Which how, how much money are we talking about, Michael? Well, I mean, they've, they've asked for $36 million, um, which is, I think this plane was originally worth about $30 million, and the mortgage is something like fourteen. Um, yeah. I don't know the precise figures. The plane is now worth about fourteen or less, and... Yes. So they've they've put a personal price on his head, and so obviously, you know, as a as a, an Irish citizen stuck in an impossible situation in a foreign jurisdiction, yeah. um, action is required, and yeah. and um, you know, the government have been engaged. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Aged in this, and I, I personally was in correspondence with um, Simon Coveney as far, far back as April 2019, and nothing's happened. Because yeah. he originally only travelled, I think, for, for a couple of weeks, and we, we should remember he has he has a wife and children. His children are what age? Five and seven? Um, his children are from seven, and then on a t- four children on a two-year gap, so seven, nine, eleven, and, and thirteen, roughly. And so he, he has... Um, his son is my godson, which is why I have been involved. I and see. he is a personal friend of mine from uh, college days um, in, in Dublin. And his families have connections with my ancestral families from from way back in yeah. the early last century in Golin, um, in yeah. West Cork. You, and, and, you and I have, of course, spoken before because you lost your dad in the Whitty Island disaster. That's why that's that's... How we've spoken right. before. Yeah, that, that's right, PJ. I work in in international um, maritime law and work with um, certain international, including the United Nations International Maritime Organization. So I've sort of used, in whatever way I can, any yeah. potential leverage by writing to the Chinese ambassador to seek um, passage to China to be with Richard to try and um, to try and help him sort these problems out. Speaking as a practitioner of law, Michael. Um, do you think that the Taoiseach will have any luck in, in getting him home? Well, I mean, it's quite clear here that there's a fundamental breach of his human rights as, as, as an Irish citizen. He's been detained in a, in, a, in a foreign jurisdiction. And I would have thought that it wouldn't have been impossible for the uh, government to put up some sort of letter of security or a bond for the amounts involved and bring him home and then sort the matter out um, and thereafter, but we seem to have a problem here in standing up to the um, Chinese authorities. We're being bullied as 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 a nation, and you know we're a member of the European Union. And now things have escalated, and indeed, the uh, Francis Fitzgerald has written to the um, High Rem- Representative for Foreign Affairs um, of the European Union because there are negotiations with China regarding trade and and we have not been strong enough as a nation and we must remember that um, we assumed a position on the United States Security Council last year. We're part of the top table for the overseeing of human rights and things such as the Myanmar coup that's going on at the moment and so on and and, and we need to to leverage um, our support for fundamental human rights and in this case of, of an Irish citizen and um, I, I will say um, where Antishok is concerned I, I, I commend him for um, for, for his recent actions, uh, Michal Martin but what I can't understand is that um, our, our um, former Taoiseach and indeed Simon Coveney, I know that they are acting 
in in good faith, but they need, need to up the ante because Richard's um, grandfather is Desmond Fitzgerald, who was one of the founders of, of, of the Irish nation and involved in 1916, and one of the founders of Cumann Gael, the, the Fine Gael party, and, and his uh, great-uncle is Garrett Fitzgerald. So I find it extraordinary <laughs> that they haven't pulled out the stops on behalf of um, someone who is so closely connected to, to uh, Fine Gael. It, it's extraordinary. Yes. Of course, connected to Fine Gael is one thing, but connected to his to his wife and children is is another thing. They must be missing him desperately, Michael. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not dealing here with um, two days or two weeks or two months or six months, two years away away from his family. His youngest daughter um, is is sleeps with a picture of him um, at night, and and. Um, it's it's a it's a desperate situation and it's a never ending um sort of scenario and is he family, able to communicate with them yes um they are able to communicate by by telephone and and some some video um calls and his wife tara has done a sterling job in in sort of keeping him updated on developments but it's a torturous situation missing birthdays yeah. and communions and confirmations and he missed the the death of his mother-in-law who is very close to his wife tara's uh, mother and and the family are all they're trying to do is trying to find and ensure that the chinese government delivers some sort of clear and defined um, um, path and timeline, and it's it's like a, a jail sentence basically. And 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 really and truly, if China wanted to resolve this, um, they could. And and we must remember that you know Ireland have bent over backwards to be good to Chinese culture and 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 Chinese students and Chinese business. And then it's time to 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 you know make that clear and and explain that. Um, we 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 have um, a duty to our citizens, and we treat Chinese uh, culture and citizens with respect in Ireland, and we expect it to be reciprocated. Interesting point that you make. Thank you very much, and uh, good to talk to you again, Michael. Under different circumstances to normal, that's Michael Kingston, uh, close friend um, and indeed godfather uh, of one of Richard O'Halloran's uh, children. Um, there's a man. And I'm, thank, I'm very grateful to Michael because I personally have learned more about this story in the last 10 minutes than, than I ever knew. Here is a man who has done nothing wrong, has no accusation of any kind pending against him. His employer uh, is in jail, but he has done nothing wrong. He's being held by the Chinese, won't be left home until he can get them something like $36 million that he hasn't got a hope of getting them. It's not his responsibility to get it for them, even though he has told them repeatedly, well, let me go home to my family, let me work at home, and I will get you the money as soon as I can sell this plane or do something with this plane. Desperately sad situation, and he's missing communions, and he's missing confirmations, and he missed his mother-in-law's funeral, and he's missed birthdays, and he's missed Christmas. He effectively, as Michael Kingston puts it, is imprisoned for something that he did not do. Can you give a shout-out, please, to John Boy O'Neill. Oh, that's a stiff one. Oh, yes. John Boy O'Neill and Grace and Ava Sheehan on their way to Whitechurch to do up their treehouse. We think smokeless coal is way better than the other. Uh, Shirley says, I don't know that a romantic evening is the same with smokeless, smokeless coal. You don't want too much smoke, but the smokeless stuff doesn't even look real. Then on the phone, the smokeless coal burns hotter. 
My grate kind of disintegrated. I had to get a new one from Irish International Trading. But to cut a long story short, I asked around, and people recommended this thing called the Rond Grate Saver. It's like a piece of metal with holes in it. And it did the trick. You can get them from other companies, but it's well worth buying. Nick, I tried the smokeless coal in my open fireplace. More expensive. It did last longer, but less heat. Mixed it with regular coal to use up the bag. I won't be buying it again. You may not have a choice soon, Nick, if the Green Party get their way. Marie burns smokeless coal. Wouldn't see much of a difference when lighting it. Doesn't cause her problems. As regards the heat, it gives off a great heat when it is lit. It's a little bit expensive, but if I had a chance to go back to the smoky coal, I'd stick with the smoke less. I've recently changed to smokeless due to recommendations from my coal merchant. I can still buy the normal stuff as I'm rural, but I wouldn't change back. So it's kind of a mixed mixed reaction to, to smokeless coal. Anybody else have some thoughts? Love to hear from you. On Zero COVID and Professor Aoife McLeisett, who opened our show this morning, re- recommending that this lockdown, first of all, isn't hard enough. And if we hardened up this lockdown to the kind of lockdown we had first time out last year, not only could we drive those numbers down harder, but then we could keep them down. Here in Cork and Kerry, for example, we could be a green zone. We could have our lives at least partially back and keep everybody else out, do that kind of thing. But she said, look, we we really need a strategy to get down and stay down. And with all the variants coming in, we need proper quarantine, not the half-arsed quarantine plan that, that they seem to have. And tonight I'm hoping to speak to an expert in Australia who will be telling me how Melbourne first failed and then succeeded with mandatory quarantine because they did, they made a bag of it the first time but they've got it uh, pretty much down pat now uh, the lady ahead of the show, Professor Lysett is perfectly right but as long as people are not being compliant like those in of all areas in groups outside takeaways without a mask between them then we'll continuously be running the gauntlet, says John and a few more on the playgrounds, hi PJ I took my grandson for a walk down the marina Saturday. The number of people and the non-existent wearing of masks was frightening. Not one guard to be seen. It seems to be one law for some and another for others, says Paul in Black Rock. PJ mentioned the playground in Douglas. I'd like to highlight the playground in Glanton, full of people of all ages in groups with no masks, no distancing. It's frightening. People have learned nothing but all the new strains, the increased infectiousness and so on. Maybe it would be fairer to say those people in the playgrounds have not learned those things. This time, in the first lockdown, playgrounds were closed. I remember taking calls about it. People were furious that playgrounds were closed because they'd know where to take the smallies. And that's understandable. But, as I said, my observation as I walked my dog in Douglas yesterday was that the playground in the Douglas Community Park was like a beehive. That cannot be safe. It simply cannot be safe this morning. Or this time, at the moment, I mean. 185715996. Now, something else as well is the kind of double standards that seem to be out there uh, in retail. And we all know now that all non-essential retail is closed down. Or is it? Joseph Cotter. Joseph, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Yeah, I think you're very frustrated at this point. Yes, yes. You have um, household linens. 
Yeah, household linens in Oliver Plunkett Street and we're closed down since December like a lot of other small independent shops in Oliver Plunkett Street and in various shopping centres. But when I go out to Douglas Court on Saturday, I find uh, the bed linen department in, uh, in Dunn stores openly selling duvets and pillows. So mm. is there one rule for Margaret Heffernan and one rule for me? Isn't that how it would seem to you, isn't it? Yes, yes. You know, uh, I mean, Joe McCarthy has a shop in Douglas Court uh, selling interior bed linen and brick brack, and he's closed. Uh, Harry Corrie is closed. Home Store and more are open selling duvets and pillows. I called into Woody's on Saturday, and uh, there was a woman coming up with four pillows, you know. If, you know, so I, I, I'm just last PJ yeah. Um, yeah. not only is it tough to have closed your business and you're there for many many years now you're a traditional Cork City Centre business you're closed for I suppose most of the past year really aren't you we are we are yeah. and you know still paying rent and you know no, we, we, we've obviously we've gotten some grant aid from the government and we've we're not paying rates at the moment so we're grateful for that yeah. but you know like, like Paul your last caller was saying about the people down in Black Rock you know some people wearing masks and others not and you know we're a country of double standards PJ yeah. and you know it seems to be like that there's one rule for the rich and one rule for everybody else yeah. how long are you and in it, business now Joe? Oh, 43 years. Yeah. Yeah. Never uh, been closed for this long? No. God, no. Yeah. Um, you know, but hanging on by the skin of our teeth, PJ. And, you know, since since I spoke to you last March, we, you know, when we were locked down again, you know, we were in a slightly better position. We've launched a new website. Good. But we're in a touchy-feely business. People like to come in and feel a pillow they and do. feel a duvet. They do. Uh, so, they do. you know, a website is good, but it's not the answer at the same time. The, so, the lockdown uh, last year was it seemed to, it seemed to be far stricter this time last year. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm still astounded by the amount of traffic on the road, Peter. Where when I was going home there on Friday night, it was like there was no lockdown. There was queues of cars on the on the roundabout at the Kinsale Road. Mm. So yeah, but there certainly, I, and I I thought that the bed linen and the home store area or the home. Divided area of Duns was closed off, but you tell me it's not. No, no, you could walk in and you know just pick up anything you want, you know. And TJ, let me say this: I have no problem with shops having their bedding department open because I believe bedding is essential for people's well-being. Sleep is one of the most important things we can get at the moment. Yes, I, yes. I can't get a good night's sleep myself because I'm stressed to, to the nines, you know. Um, so, but bedding is essential. But where do you draw the line? You know, are, are gyms essential for people's physical well-being? You know, uh, we're either all open or we're all closed. Yes. And and we need some strong leadership coming. And it's it's too it's too tasty. You know, yeah, it will be all right. You know. Yeah, but it won't be really, will it? No, it will not. And you know, and as you were saying earlier this morning with Professor McLeiser, you know, you know, if, if Dublin is a basket case. Why is Cork and Kerry being punished? Yeah. You know? And remember, we, we, I've, I've said this many times, Joe, we, we did this last year. Those of us, yes. those yeah, people who we, say we, we can't eliminate COVID-19 from the community. In Cork and Kerry last year, we actually did that. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know? Have you any hope of when you might be open? That we're, we're supposed to get the programme this week and they're saying it'll be, it could well be late April, early May. 
Yeah, there was saying originally that it could be Easter, you know. But you know, after that on on Saturday, Peter, I'm really losing the will because if it's going to be me, you know, God, you know, I I still have, you know, obviously, I still have a lot of stock for the the January sales that's just sitting on the shelves, you know. Mm. And my suppliers are screaming at me; they're looking for payment. Yeah. Um. And, you know, there's a lot of other small... And are you getting government support? Oh, we are. I mean, we're getting the pandemic unemployment payments, you know, and our rates are being, you know, have been cancelled for the time being. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, it's all well and good, but it's not enough to keep small independence like myself going, Peter. Yeah. John is suggesting yeah. here that you just open your shop and be damned, and if they try to close you down, we'll see them in court. And I think PJ is going to come to that and going to open the door. And, you know, if there's a guard comes to the door and says, sorry, you have to close, I say, well, look, you go off to Patrick Street and close Dunn's door first. And when Dunn's door is closed, come back to me. Yeah. See, this is the kind of thing that is going to start happening. People yeah. are going to start rebelling. Go- yeah. Yeah. Not because they, not because they don't see the point. You know, they don't understand how important it is to, to, to eliminate the virus. But they see a double standard. They see their they see someone open across the road and their little business is shut down. Yes. Yeah. And nobody can give us an answer, PJ. Because, you know, we've had this conversation last year. We're having it again now. Will any politician step up to the microphone and say, this is right, this is why we're doing it, Uh, this is the solution, this is what we're going to do go forward? Or are we going to be here now in another three months' time all scratching our heads and saying, what the F is going on? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Joe, leave it there. Thanks very much uh, for that. And, and good luck with it. I, I really do hope it works out well for you. And you know what? If you do open your doors and be damned and you land in trouble, I'm not going to endorse that. I know that there's a big group down in Kerry seem to be gathering forces to talk about opening a load of businesses in the middle of Tralee next weekend, the weekend after. And Joe is the first businessman I've spoken to here in Cork who's openly thinking of doing it. Not because he doesn't agree with restrictions. Not because he doesn't agree that we have to get this virus under control. But because he sees he can't sell his stock in his shop. But he can walk over the road into Dunn stores and he can see Margaret Heffernan selling her bedding. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. There is no reason why Duns should be selling beds and pillows and duvets, or anybody else for that matter, and he can't. Where are we going with this? To the top. Tom says, non-essential and essential. I went into town with my grandchildren for a walk. Can't buy clothes for them, but I can go into an off-license and buy all the slabs of beer I want. It's just crazy. Listener says, house party in my estate on Saturday night. There was at least ten cars parked. All COVID rules broken. They were all in their mid-twenties or early thirties. As that chap said to you, one rule for one and another for the other. 1850-715-996. They're losing the room. It's so important that when Michal Martin publishes whatever it is he's going to publish this week, that he gets the room back. Because if he loses the room, if he loses the room, we'll be back in the middle of January. That's just the biological scientific fact of all of this.
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Made in Cork Play by Ear Rehearsed Readings offers access to the full audio stream collection of nine rehearsed readings from the Everyman Theatre. It takes place for the month of March with 11 hours of pure theatre and you can buy a ticket that covers all nine shows and find out more information at everymancork.com. Access all areas. Acclaimed Cork singer and musician John Spillane has just released his new single, We Come in the Wind. It's the first single to be taken from his forthcoming album, 100 Snow White Horses, which is set for release on April 2nd. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Cork's 96 FM. Just on the subject of Richard O'Halloran, father of four, uh, stuck in China, uh, being forced by the Chinese authority to pay back money that he can't pay them for something he didn't do, but that his boss did. Speaking earlier on to Michael Kingston, his friend, uh, who's trying to help get him out. And a lot of people kind of saying, well, why? Who is this fellow? If the Chinese students all stop coming, UCC would close down. I'm not suggesting that, I don't think Richard, or Michael is suggesting that at all, Miriam. Morris Peach, if Richard was British, American, Russian or Israeli, some clandestine plan would be put together to extract him from China. We do nothing but moan. Uh, the fact that a person's grandfather, uncle, or founder, and ex Tishig of Fine Gael seems to be taken as a God-given right for special treatment. No, that's not what Michael Kingston said at all. He was merely saying that he's uh, surprised at the lack of political interest in it up to now, given the uh, background, shall we say, given the family tree of the man involved. But an Irishman who's done nothing wrong, broken no law, is... In, not imprisoned, but held in China, kept in China against his will. And we should all be interested in that. 1850-715-996. Tim, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. Now, you were listening to people talking about big crowds at the weekends. You were down the marina. I wasn't. I was actually down the Lower Glenmire Road. Oh, right. across at the marina. Okay, that would be uh, within your own 5K, of course. Yeah, uh, and it was actually yesterday about one thirty, driving from the city side east along the Lord and my road. I looked over at the marine and I said, Jesus, is there a monster flying land or something? It looked chaotic. Now, it wasn't that, that I could see huge numbers of people walking, but I could see at least two, three, four hundred cars parked on the western side of the marina. Now, whether they were all walking the marina, down in around Parsi Keeve, but the number was substantial. It was, it was frightening to look at. It It looked kind of the same as things started to look in November before the six-week lockdown ended, but as yeah. people were getting into the mood of feeling a little bit, you know, I can take the risk. And again, to talk about the children's playgrounds, they, they were, they were, you know, that, that, that talk is real too. It's starting again, the slippage. And I think probably as the weather improves, the government need to pull back on the 5K range to let people range further 
so that they're not all congregating in these city centre settings like the marina. That's a very good point, actually, last night that was being made on Twitter, Tim, because I I happened to mention about my walk and and the fact that I'd been looking in through the fence in Douglas and seeing, as I said, I described it as being like a beehive, the children's playground. I think they need to do that now, and just... And particularly if it's at a weekend when people and, and the weather is expected to be good, allow people to just range a bit further so that it's more dispersed. Yeah, maybe 10 kilometres. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. See, the problem is, you see, the problem is, Tim, it's the movement of people in the first place that yeah. causes this thing to spread around. So, realistically, 5K, this time last year we were headed into 2K. But to the 5k thing at this stage, you no know, PJ is forcing people to start getting themselves into congregated settings, and they are it's proving a danger. Yeah, uh, and I, I'd be optimistic about the whole thing, but I do think that the notion of you know lots of kids and and, and there's mainly families are walking, get a bit of, getting a bit of family time on a Sunday, yeah, and they could highlight a lot more facilities that are available maybe within the 10k range and encourage people to spread out more. Yeah, just I don't know, the answer isn't. Isn't the 5K anyway on weather like you had yesterday? No. And weather like we have today, it's beautiful as well, but a lot of people are working on, yeah. working from home. So it's only at the weekends to do something if there's going to be good weather, offer people options. Yeah, yeah. Mary Jane was yeah, saying it's course. like that since last March, people are getting it. And I suppose, look, people are on a beautiful day like yesterday and the first little smell of spring yeah. in the air yesterday. It was gorgeous. Absolutely and gorgeous day out. Daffodils and the primroses are up and people are out and that's, that's natural enough. Yeah. And just need to be extremely careful. Thank you very much, Tim, for that. Looking across yesterday from the Lord Landmire Road towards the marina, he thought it was like a monster final day. And we're getting lots of people saying this. Now, Mags then says, the thing is when people ring in to give out about crowds in a certain place, they've had to be there themselves to be observing. I spoke with someone yesterday bitching about the amount of people on Fountainstown Beach and that person was there walking too. Which is a valid point, Mags. But at the same time, should we shut up about it? Really? Should we not mention the fact that there are too many people in playgrounds and too many people gathering on in crowds? And I'm sorry, but I know that anyone who's a parent of, of small children will hate me for this. But I think they should close the playgrounds. They're jammed yesterday, and they will be. Take any playground that will be rammed this afternoon. And if groups of children up on swings and up on slides and up on climbing bars are crawling all over each other, and yes, children themselves may not suffer from COVID-19, but they'll bring it home. And what if they bring it home and they give it... You see, this is the problem. I would, I'd close the playgrounds. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. <laughs> that'll, that'll shorten our cough for us. An orange wind and rain warning from 6 o'clock tonight until 9 o'clock tomorrow. Have you ever been out in orange rain of lately? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like it's going to pelt it down. Remember what we had last Thursday and Friday? Be nothing compared to this. There's a right deluge coming tonight and into tomorrow. So <laughs> there'll be no playgrounds tonight or tomorrow. <sighs> That'll keep them in for a bit. 
1856, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083. 396-9696 the email opinion at 96fm.ie if you want to catch our podcast later of course you can do so if you missed any part of our first two hours podcast goes up early to mid afternoon it goes on all the various platforms subscribe and it'll be updated for you every single day and won't cost you a cent it's free speaking of podcasts we've put a podcast extra up of our conversation this morning with Professor Aoife McLeisett. Now, my comments about playgrounds and people being out and people's observations of the crowds that were out on what was a beautiful day yesterday and hard to blame anybody for wanting to get out in it yesterday. And as the weather improves, that will happen more, admittedly. John says, PJ, I hear they're remaking Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You should apply for the role of the child catcher. No, he was laughing on the phone. I, I get it, John. I sound like an awful dry balls. I sound like an awful killjoy when I say the playgrounds shouldn't be open. But unfortunately, they shouldn't. This time last year, well, a few weeks from now, they weren't. And people stayed in. And we only had two kilometres, not five. And people stayed in for the most part. And look what we did. By the summertime, we were rid of the blasted thing. And as Professor McLeisett said, we could have stayed there with the right moves. And we've proven already it can be done. And already Cork and Kerry are doing so well now, getting the numbers down. And I'll have the numbers again tomorrow. I'll have the numbers again tomorrow. And, and Cork is doing exceptionally well for our population at the moment. We just need to keep it up. And thronging places on a bright sunny afternoon doesn't help. That's the problem. It doesn't help. If kids can bring it up in playgrounds and bring it home, they should also apply that thinking to schools. Well, uh, Joe, well, there's the thing, Joe. Bringing the children back to school is important for their education. It's not about the schools. The schools themselves, scientifically, and because of all the restrictions in the schools and all the good practice, the great practice in the schools, schools themselves are, are much safer places. It's the movement of people in and out is the problem. And we're going to move on to schools in just a sec. And then, PJ, can you stop being so negative? You don't seem to understand that COVID is a seasonal virus and will effectively disappear for the summer like it did last year. And your country will more than likely be fully opened up, says P. P clearly has graduated from the University of Twitter because we don't have any evidence at all, P, that that's going to happen. Yes, it may die off a little bit because it doesn't like dry summer weather. We, we know that it doesn't like dry summer weather and it doesn't like warm surfaces. I, 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 yeah, fine, there'll be a certain seasonal effect, but it's not a seasonal virus and it won't just die away like everything else. So wherever you read that, read it again. 1850-715-996. On the schools, we got a message uh, from Sean. How are you? But the return of schools, I don't understand how it can happen on the 1st of March. I can't wait to return, but only when it's safe. Sean, good morning. Um, hi, how are you? You want to go back, but you're worried about going back. Of course, I'm really looking forward to go back now, because as you know, like I'm a six-year student, and it's my last you know, couple of months. But at the same time, I'm only going to do that when it's safe to do so, you know? Mm. Under the plan, and we shall come out this week... We believe that from the 1st of March onwards, yourselves in the secondary and the junior and senior infants in the primary will, will be starting to go back. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's worrying you about that? I think my opinion on that now would be, I heard a comment now, I don't really like opinion, the comment now Leo said, and he said, obviously the first cohort of students, like you just mentioned, will go back for two to three weeks. And if that remains safe, then the phase reopening will begin for other years and other classes. And my opinion on that is like they're using us as kind of, you know, to, to see whether schools are safe or not. And as you know, all these new variants, I have no confidence, especially like the the way they reduced, you know, the the PPE grant. There's no serial testing. Yeah. I think that needs to be all kind of put in, put in place to make sure schools are safe. Yeah. You, you feel you're a bit like a guinea pig going in next Monday, is it? Oh, 100%, yeah. I really do. I suppose the safest way to bring you back is bring you back in small groups and see how it works. There has to be, I suppose that, that's one where they have to do it, don't they? Yeah, of course, of course. But at the same time, they don't know if it's safe or not. And I feel like they need to put out a kind of, you know, a risk assessment before yeah. there's any reopening the schools. Because they, they kind of do know that the school itself with all of the restrictions that are put in place and the sanitizing and the streaming and the that the schools themselves are relatively safe. The problem is the movement of people in and out. Yeah, I do understand that. But at the same time, I was reading actually an article the other day from the ECDC, which is the European Centre for Disease Prevention yes. and Control. And they were basically admitting that without, um, you know, more procedures in schools to make them safe, because of the new variants, schools won't work. They'll be closed again, and that's that's not good enough, you know. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, Sean, actually, I did see something to that effect myself. That yeah. you know, the the restrictions that were in place in schools when they opened in September and it all went relatively well may not necessarily work now with the new variants around. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I mean about. There needs to be, you know, serial testing or a specific approach to schools with, for example, a high number of cases, you know. Yeah. How worried are your friends? Are you talking to your friends about it? Yeah, yeah. And they're all the same. We're all on the same boat. And but this should be a week where we're kind of, you know, happy for, you know, the announcement that happened with the leaving cert. But we're being put in the same boat now where we're stressed, full of anxiety. We don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's, it's not good enough, really, you know, yeah. in my opinion. How, how do you feel about the decision they made with regard to the leave insert, that you can either sit an exam in June or take uh, an accredited grade, and, in fact, you can mix the two? How do you feel about that? Well, I'm actually very happy with that decision because I feel like it, it helps a lot of people, you know, especially those people, you know, bad broadband, and I think they needed that option. I really, really do. Mm. Are, you, are you doing online classes? Are they okay for you? Um, I actually enjoy walking from home, but at the same time, I'd rather be in school, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you going to go in on Monday? Um, well, as we know, there's been no announcement yet, so I can't say I will or not. If, OK, assuming that the school is open for you next Monday, will you go? Uh, me personally, no. No. Yeah. no. OK. Sean, listen, thank you for your email and for your conversation this morning. That's Sean Kyo. I wonder is... Is he speaking for a bigger number of students than we think? And the point he's making, and you can't take it from him, you can't take it from him, is that he feels like a bit of a guinea pig. You go in there now, and you check it, and you see how it goes, and if no one gets sick when you're back after two or three weeks, then 
we'll chance another crowd and we chance another crowd and we'll eventually get everybody back by after the Easter holidays, which is what they're looking at. So you've got Sean and his buddies going back next Monday and we think, well, that's the plan. We think that junior and senior infants, infants, the smallies, going back as well next Monday. And then they're going to, what we understand they're going to do, they haven't explained it just yet, but what we think they're going to do is they're going to take the first years, sorry, the leave inserts and the junior and seniors, infants, and maybe first class, and send them back next week and then hold firm for two to three weeks and see if there are any clusters coming out of the schools, see if there are any outbreaks around schools, if any school has to be closed again. And if, if, the, if the model, if the number, if the caseload works in two or three weeks, then they bring another cohort back and see if that goes, and then by then we'll be up to probably to the Easter holidays. And the idea is that everybody will be back at school after the Easter holidays. But Sean feels a bit like a guinea pig. 1850-715-996. Balancholic Regional Park packed as well yesterday, according to one listener. Uh, And the lock rammed yesterday afternoon. It's hard to blame people for going out to the lock. My God, it's one of my favourite places in the world. But not now. Not now. Can I just at this stage, before I move on to uh, a next topic of conversation, I'll come back to some of your, more of your comments on lockdowns and not lockdowns and all that. Just want to, for a moment, mention the passing of someone who was very popular around Cork in the business sector and indeed in the education sector. She passed away uh, on Friday at the age of just 48, very young. And that was Natasha O'Donoghue, or Natasha Lynch, as we would have known her, of the Essential French Group. That was her business. She set it up. She'd been teaching French to teenagers in Cork since 1996. She just set the company up when she was in her 20s. And over the years, she was a guest on this programme uh, a couple of times. Always good fun to have on, always bubbly and effervescent and lively and funny and always forgave my absolute mangling of leaving cert French any time I ever attempted to exchange a few words with her. And I only, only ever met her a couple of times, but she was as funny and vibrant 
an enjoyable company as she was listening on the air. And she passed, I didn't even know she was ill. She passed away Friday at the age of just 48. And there's a little bit of a social media campaign going on today to get a photograph of her trending. And we've all shared it, those of us who... um, who knew her in any small way at all to try and get it trending. But she will be missed. She was a lovely, lovely woman uh, and uh, and will be greatly missed. And I know that uh, my former colleague here, I uh, was thinking of Deirdre at the weekend because Deirdre and Natasha were quite close friends. So my thoughts were with Deirdre uh, and all of Natasha's friends and family over the weekend. And may she, may she rest in peace. 1850-715-996. Let me go to Maddie Doyle who is a volunteer with My Lovely Horse. I've been following this one a little bit, Maddie. How long now is Haya? How long now is Georgia missing? Um, She would have went to an adoption home in February of 2020. Um, We discovered that she was missing from that home towards the end of the summer um, last year when we just did a kind of a routine kind of follow up, you know, with the family to see how everything was going and um, how was Georgia settling in um, and during the course of that uh, contact they, they, I suppose there was a few stories being told to us but eventually we realised that they had sold her um, and they went on then to tell us that they would have sold her sometime in March after they advertised her on Dundee for sale. Oh for goodness um, sake. Yeah, so that was sort of, you know, how, you know, it didn't come to our attention that she, that they had passed her on until maybe two or three months after they had actually done it. Um, And they initially lied to us about where she was. Um, And obviously during, you know, further questioning and and sort of digging into it a little bit more, they then um, told us what had happened. Uh, Explain the process of adopting a a horse like that, Maddie. You have to agree to certain things, do you not? We do, yeah. Sorry, yeah, adopters do and and we have a, there is a, what we call an adoption agreement um, that adopters would sign when they adopt a horse from us. Um, Some of the terms within that agreement would include not being allowed to sell the horse on if an adopter should find themselves in a position where they are no longer able to keep that horse for any reason. Because, look, we understand that people's circumstances can change. Um, uh, Ponies live till, you know, they're 30 or into their 30s. So um, a lot can happen over that that kind of timeline. So, um, yeah, if if someone finds themselves in a position where they can no longer keep a, a pony for any reason then the protocol is that they would get back to us, they would let us know, and then the, the pony or the horse would be returned to our care. Um, these people, despite signing the agreement, decided that that's not what they were going to do, and instead they took it upon themselves to place an ad on Dundee and advertise for sale, and they sold her. So they adopted her in February of last year, and yeah. then they advertised her at, in March. In March, yeah. So they wouldn't have actually even held on to her for that long. I, I think it's about, you know, maybe four weeks they would have had her and then advertised her for sale. Um, you know, Do you know where she went when they sold her? Do you know who she was sold to? Uh, we understand that she was sold to somebody in Roscommon. Right. That from there she potentially moved on to Mayo. So right. she was sold again. She'd be sold on again, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from there then the trail kind of runs cold. Uh, we've had 
citing, you know, reports of sightings of her in different parts of the country. Yeah. We have followed them up, but it hasn't actually led to to a finding yeah. her. No. Um, her her yeah. background is what? She's she's six six years old, so she's quite a young horse. But yeah, anyone yeah. coming through your group, any any horse coming through your group has had a tough old start in life. Yeah, and I mean, George is no different in that regard. Um, Georgia would have come into us into our care as a foal. Um, she was a foal at foot with her mother. Um, her mother's name is Snowball, um, and Snowball is adopted into a lovely uh, adoption home um, for a few years now. And we have regular contact with her adopters and regular updates and pictures. And there, you know, she she got a lovely home, and they always stay in touch with us, which is really appreciated. Um, Georgia's mother was pregnant again, and um, she has a brother, Caleb. He's also adopted and again placed in a very nice adoption home where we receive regular contact from the family with pictures and updates. Um, again, very much appreciated. So Caleb or Georgia came into our care very young and as such we you know, she spent a good bit of time mm. with us. Um, we know her. We have, you know, like her mother. She's used her to brother. people, I suspect. Is she? Yeah. Is she tame? Yeah, she would be. Yeah, she would be very friendly. Um, she's sort of a typical mare, you know. Um, they're quite forward, and um, you know, they can be a bit bossy. But yeah, she would be very, very used to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and handled and stuff. Yeah. You're so. concerned as to where she might be, and what yeah. might be happening to her. Yeah. Yeah, because the nature of horses is they, you know, during the, the course of their lifetime, they can change hands many times and the, it, it can be a bit of a lottery. You know, one one family you're with is lovely, the next one maybe not so much, then you end up in the wrong hands. You know, it, it is the nature of what we see yeah. happen, happening to horses in this country. Now she um, is chipped, I would take it. She has a microchip, she has a passport, um, and she's registered to uh, My Lovely Horse Rescue. Right, yeah. so if any vest that would happen to scan her? Yeah, they could check her chip if she was scanned. Um, it would be, A vet could then check her microchip with any of the passport agencies, and then you know the details would be mm. uh, shared with the vet that, look, actually, this is a My Lovely Horse Rescue. Yeah, and is it that you're trying to get her back, Maddie, or you're trying to ascertain whether she's in a safe place? Um, well, I suppose primarily we want to know that she's in a safe place. It's quite possible that somebody has bought her and doesn't realise who she is or doesn't realise, you know, the full extent of the circumstances under which, you know, she's been sold on and passed on. Mm. Um, you know, they're not in trouble. They haven't done anything wrong. Right. Uh, people people acquire ponies and horses all the time without necessarily knowing the history. Um but we would like to talk to anybody that has her if it's a case that they would like to keep her as part of their family. That's okay too. It's just as part of our protocols, we always know where our ponies and horses are. Sure, um, sure. We keep track of them all and the contracts, uh, you know, need to be adhered to. Um, we also have a no breeding policy when it comes to our, our mares that um, they're not to be used for breeding. The country's already overrun with a lot of unwanted horses. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have that as part of the contract as well. Um, so it's just, you know, we are very, very lucky as a charity that we deal yeah. with so many good people and this normally doesn't happen. Um, yeah. We have a great network of adopters and it's just so unfortunate that this person chose not to do the right thing. The last thing you want is for poor little Maddie to, to turn up like has happened to other horses I'm thinking of, uh, I think we spoke to one of your colleagues about Ian 
yes. a few weeks or yeah. months ago in a terrible state. I don't know how he is. Or we have a terrible... He pro- is he okay? Yeah, Good yeah, for yeah him. he's improving. Good everybody. for him. Good for him. We have horses and ponies around housing estates. And I'm sure it's not just a Cork thing, but we have. Uh, yeah, no, it's not a Cork thing. It's a Limerick thing. It's a Dublin thing. Um, there is an issue there with horses being kept in urban areas um, that are not suitable um, for horses and pose a lot of dangers to the animals themselves and to the members of the public living in the areas on roadways mm. and things like that. But yeah, and that's, I suppose that's part of why we have that stipulation in the contract about not selling them yeah. on. You know, when they come into us, we invest an awful lot of time and money into getting them back to full health um, and then when they go out to a home we like to follow them and to keep in touch yeah. so that they won't ever go back to that situation again um, people often say things like you know but if, if someone paid a lot of money for that horse at a given point in time surely they'd never end up here there and everywhere but uh, you'd be surprised very, you'd be surprised to walk through the, the gate of a, of a, a rescue facility yeah. Yeah, people make assumptions about the type types of horses and ponies that yeah. end up in rescue and uh, we can tell you now we've seen it all <laughs> so, yeah, so the last you know for sure never. is that she was in Roscommon Ross you think Common, she may have gone to Mayo from then we think she may have gone to Mayo we have we had some information at one point come to us um, that she might have been in Nina in Tipperary right. uh, we, we did volunteers did travel to, to Nina to sort of look into that and um, we, we couldn't find her okay. where we told she was. So we put a again, picture of her up on, on, on our Twitter. She's a gorgeous creature. We've put yeah, a, pictures beautiful. of her up on our Twitter, and here's and here's hoping that she'll turn up safe and well. And as you said, if she is safe and well and being well cared for, that's that's the job done. Yeah, that's the job done. But we would still like to hear from yeah. from from the people that have her, just so that they're aware that we're involved with her and. Um, you know, to have contact with them. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Maddie, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much. That's Maddie Doyle. She's a volunteer with my lovely horse rescue. Uh, trying to find Georgia. A horse, little little pony, skewbald mare, to give her her precise description. Um, six years old. And she was adopted last February. And a month later, the people who adopted her broke their contract and sold her on. They think she was sold to a man in Roscommon. In fact, they know they, they know she was sold to a man in Roscommon, but subsequently she appears to have been sold again uh, to someone in County Mayo. She is Michael Chifton, and Chifton has a horse passport. Don't laugh, they are real things, horse passports. So if any vet should find her, they want to get back to my lovely horse Cork. If she's okay, and if the people are treating her well, that's the end of the story. But if she's not okay, then they want to try to get her back. 1850-715-996. On parks, Eleanor says, I agree with PJ about playgrounds. I see them all in clusters and the schools are closed. It doesn't make sense. Hi, I'm curious as to why signage, poor but sparsely visible in places, is encouraging people to walk in parks. On the left, it appears to have brought great confusion for people swapping from side to side. Just wondering the council's thinking on this and have recently noticed the practice is transferring to country roads, which is very dangerous. On a separate note, where footpaths are available on both sides, I feel a campaign to encourage people to walk on the left side would reduce contact immensely. 
from a concerned and COVID-compliant walker. On vaccines, do you remember that we were talking last week with Wyon, whose parents, elderly parents, were to be vaccinated in the current cohort? I think one of them is 91 and the other is 86. I'm not too sure who's the older, his mum or his dad. But they were called, they were given their appointment, they were told your vaccine will be there, and they, and it wasn't. It wasn't there. Uh, bitter disappointed all around, as you can imagine, the excitement of them trying to get their vaccine and get themselves safe. Wyan was back on uh, to say it wasn't just my parents, and it wasn't just my parents' GP that was told there was no vaccine, despite it being arranged and to go ahead with organising appointments and then told the plan was changed. I met a friend who's a GP, and they're now having to explain to their elderly patients, who no doubt were looking forward to getting it. We were getting some indication before we finished with Wyon last week, or before the end of that programme, that he might, his parents might not be the only ones. Clearly not. It's quite a number of people who were told they'd be going for their vaccines. Quick smart, and it ain't happening so quick or so smart. And if we don't get this right, we are banjaxed. If we can get the numbers down and the vaccines up, that's a win. 1850-715-996. On the subject of horses, there is a dead horse behind a wall in Noctahini. It's been there a few days now. Foxes and rats and dogs are all at it. Can someone not do something? I got this a couple of hours ago and I meant to mention it. I was so thrilled last night to see that win. Uh, Jordan Brown winning the Welsh Open snooker. A good news story yet again. Another Irish lad beating Ronnie O'Sullivan. Remember, he was beaten by our own Aaron Hill uh, last year. Um, he, remember he said at the time that there was no one coming up through the ranks that would be able to, to beat him unless he played with one hand. Do you remember that? And then Aaron Hill went out and clocked him one. Uh, and now last night in the final of the Welsh Open and look, Ronnie is the best player ever picked up a cue there's no doubt about it in the void dirty world he's the greatest of all time but he got bet last night by a young lad who a few years ago was filling petrol from petrol pumps and now is rising up through the ranks uh, second time round for young Jordan Brown and winning that Welsh Open is a ranking title and he will get invited to lots of other tournaments now, so we'll see a hell of a lot more of Jordan Brown. Also, yeah, he was 750 to 1 was his... I mean, imagine having a fiver on him at 750 to 1. Wow. Uh, David Egan then won the world richest, world's richest horse race in Riyadh. Not expected to win. Top prize there of 20 million. I know. I don't know the back end of a horse in the front, so I'll take your word for the richest horse race in the world, but particularly delighted... Uh, for and to hear about young Jordan Brown. 1850-715-996. On the schools going back, here's a listener on the phone, doesn't want us to use their name, and that's fine. My son will not be returning back to school for sixth year. He has been so careful not to mix with people. As soon as they go back, they start mixing, and it all starts again. There's enough stress without the guilt they may have if they bring the virus home to parents with underlying health problems. That's kind of what Sean was hinting at, or one of the things he was hinting at. It's fine to have a fine, strapping 16, 17-year-old. Great, they're dying to get back to school. But what if they've got a vulnerable person at home? Vulnerable sibling, vulnerable nana, vulnerable mom, vulnerable dad, whatever. 
Deirdre, I live in Willow Park at the entrance to Tremor Valley Park. There were so many cars parked there yesterday. It was crazy. I stopped going walking. Actually, there was a massive crowd in the park uh, the weekend. Massive crowd in Tremor Valley, Valley Park. And before anybody says, no, 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 I was actually over there doing some recycling. I was bringing over some electrical recycling that I had to get rid of. So I had reason to be there. And it's within my 5K. 1850-715-996. On insurance, Willie wants to talk to me. Hey, Willie, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are we? I'm all right. Bye. What do you want to say? No, I was kind of looking at a thing down on Facebook down last week, right? And it was about a Sinn Féin TD. He brought up a thing. Is it convention centre down in the Dalian? Well, when they meet at the Dal, it's a convention centre now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he brought up a statement, you know, about the, the insurance companies being regulated. you know what I mean? Mm. Because they're about ripping people off. Right? Yes, I, well, this was Pierce Doherty on, a, on, right. on about dual pricing and he's try, trying to have it outlawed, yeah. This That's is the, right, yeah. yeah. The kind of pricing where I'm a new customer, you've been there a few years, we both come from the same background, but I'm a, different, I, I'm, I'm a new customer so I get a different price. Exactly. You know what I mean? And then I'm saying that, then your man turned around and he says that they took it during about nine months' time. The other TD that he was actually saying, well, you cut that up on that, I don't know. Mm. But I did on it. But I'm saying that, no, PJ, where I'm coming from, right, is that I, 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 well, to someone I said, I was talking about it as well, right? Like, there's a lot of people working from home now at the moment because of this pandemic and they're not using their cars. Yes. So there's a lot less traffic on the road. Okay, on a Sunday, you know, like you were out yesterday, you see a lot of people and you see a lot of cars, maybe. That's a Sunday, that's a weekend. Mm. But from Monday to Friday, I've been around driving myself and I see a lot less cars on the road. Yeah. Right? From the pandemic, as you can understand. And I think, like... The less, t- the less you're using your car and this insurance company or the insurance companies are still hocking up the prices, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. You get me? I, I'll because there'll there- be less crashes and there'll be less freaking compensation cases. Yeah. There, there, are, there are people whose cars are sitting in the drive with the last 10 or 11 months. You got that right. You know what I mean? No, I'm saying that I drive myself, right? And I only go, I only, I'm only using it for shopping, really. Do you know that kind of yeah. way? Yeah. I wouldn't be using it as much as I would. Yeah, but I'd be the same, shopping and going to work. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But where we're coming from here now, people that were working and using it every day of the week, Monday to Friday, when they were off weekends, are not using it now as much, and the insurance companies are doing nothing about it, they're still hiking up their insurance policy, yeah, which I think, I think is crazy. Some people did get, th- th- there was a thing last year about a rebate. Some people said, oh, you get a rebate now for not using your car. I think some people got 30 quid or something. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, PJ, I, I'll verify that. I got 50 euro of a rebate off of Zurich, the crowd I'm with. Right. And how much, do you, how much do you pay per year, Will? Well, I was only, like, I was only paying 330 every year, right? Okay? Yeah. That was my insurance. I know it's got, I'm having hiked up now over 100 euro this year. To get, you know what I mean? Crikey. Yeah. You know? Wow. But yeah, where, where I come from there to see is the car that I had was a 141. The engine in her blew up. And the garage gave me a C7, right? So I went down seven years. So it's the edge of the car as well, do you know? I see. That's where they're coming from. No, he, I was haggling with him, as you know, you'll haggle And then he told me and said, me shop around if you can get it any cheaper. Well, and good to yourself. You know what I mean? I do, I do. But this is where the insurance companies pay the ball. Yeah. If, you can, if you don't accept their quote, go somewhere else. They'll give me a higher premium then again. And you can't go, you have to go back to them because... It's not any cheaper than what you will got with you, what them first did. You know what I mean? I do, I do, I do. Willie, good to talk to you again. Thanks very much. The, the whole thing with the car insurance, Pierce Doherty is trying to drive, thanks Will, trying to drive this thing through, whereby if you and I, Willie and I, are two identical customers of the same company, 
I'm a new customer, and, and identical cars if you want. I'm a new customer. Willie's been there a few years. He gets one price, I get another. Pierce Doherty is trying to outlaw, it's been outlawed in, in, in a lot of places. Pierce Doherty is trying to outlaw that. He's not getting anywhere with it. They've said they'll look at it again in a few months' time. 1067156. You're all over those online viral trends. It's good, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Plus, there's always a chance to be a winner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't miss out. Make it part of your afternoon routine in Cork. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Conceal. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Joe Cotter from Household Linens was back on to us just to thank us for the opportunity and delighted to do so, Joe. You're in a real bind there. His business is closed and yet he sees done stores and others, but Dunn Stores, he mentioned, selling what he wants to sell. And he's pretty peed off about it. And you can kind of not blame him. And he also wanted to mention his staff. They would generally prefer to be working rather than drawing a P-U-P. Thank you, Joe, and good luck uh, in the future. 1850-715-996. Have you ever had bunny chow? Huh? Bunny chow. I've had a version of Bunny Chow, and I only realised it was a version of Bunny Chow when I read about it. Uh, And there's a new place in Cork where you can get Bunny Chow, and it's probably the last place in Cork you'd have thought you'd ever get food. Chris, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? I'm very well, sir. Now, explain to people, first of all, what Bunny Chow is. So, Bunny Chow is basically just a um, third of a loaf of bread that's hollowed out, and... um, uh, Indian, South African Indian curry is made, which is poured inside. Um, and it's served on like a side kind of pickled, pickled carrots and chilies, which is called sambles. Um, kind of, and you don't use a knife and fork. You should just use your hands, like, you know, to eat it nice and messy, like. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is messy stuff. But it, it, as I said, I, I'll tell you in a minute, you laugh when, when I, 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 I realize I've eaten a version of it. But okay. it's, it's, it's curry in a hollowed out loaf bread with a, with a kind of a spicy salad, isn't it? That's it. That's correct. Yeah. Where are you going to do this? So, St. Luke's, um, there's a small little to- uh, toll booth um, that's yeah. been there for years. It was used to be used for the animals that came into Cork. That's right. um, and that's been empty for a number of years. So, I. I spoke to Ruth um, from Rant, a small little coffee shop opposite opposite the, the booth itself. Um, she gave me permission to actually use it. So it, it is it is said that it is the smallest takeaway in Cork. Um, so, um, but where there's a will, there's a way, you know. It's a local landmark. I mean, it's been there since the the 1880s. That's it. Do you know, and it 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 
it better to have it occupied than not occupied. I think there was a florist in there for a little while. There was. How are you going to serve food in there? Yeah, so um, a friend of mine, um, Dave Halpin and Ecos, um, he's, he's basically said to me, I can, I can use his facility to kind of make the food up there, make the curries up there, and basically reheat it again inside the booth itself, right. and, and then serve it out from there. Like So I kind of set it up so um, I can do it at, at the little door that, that's facing um, the, the pub that's in that's entries. That's entries, there, like, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but it's but it's going very well. Um, the, the feedback from the locals and local businesses has been fantastic. Like you know, You've been in busy? social yeah. media, it's very busy. Like you know, surprisingly, we weren't kind of expecting it to be like that. You know, yeah. even even um, in, within the five k, people are coming. Absolutely, absolutely, and no and no harm. You know, I think it's creating a bit of a buzz down there, and it's and it's such a nice area anyway. You know. Um, but but definitely the support of Cork to kind of get it done, like and and all the good kind of things that people are saying about it is absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah, you know. well, I mean, it's such a lot of people are saying, how is he going to ever set up fast food from from that little place? But clearly, it's 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 gone really well for you. No, but definitely. How like, are you I, storing I it at, though? I mean, like most most very limited in, in the number of portions you can store. Yes, like so. Like what we did in the beginning is, as we just opened the doors and we took phone calls, and um, people could just kind of pass by and order. But we kind of decided because of of the big bash that's actually that's that's happened. Um, it's better to kind of pre-order. So we're only taking pre-orders Tuesday till Friday from 9 to 7. Right. Um, so we kind of fill up slots. That so kind of makes it much easier because I only have a limited amount of portions that I can yeah. that I can sell out, you know, and it sells out very quickly. So it's open, um, open by day, is it, rather than in the evening, yeah? Yeah, so it opens at 4 o'clock on Thursdays, um, 4 o'clock until 8 o'clock Thursdays and Fridays. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's, it's something new. It's, it's something exciting, you Absolutely. know. It's, it's nice how, does one, how does one pre-order? Um, I have a, a, a line that's open for that, which is 089-979-1679. And, of course, we have an Instagram page as well. Gazbo uh, is what you're calling it. Yeah, Gazbo Cork. Um, my, my, my lovely uh, girlfriend, Idella Carroll, uh, her brother is actually running the, the social media side right. for me, like, you know. Um, but we're very lucky. Can like, we're very happy with it? Like, you know, you're I mean? a brave man setting up a business <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, mate. Um, like I said, well, there's a well, there's a way, like you know, and um, and and we're there to kind of to please, like you know, so to do something different is nice, you know, and the feedback is brilliant, you know. Yeah. You live in um, Mount Notty, of course. You're well familiar with the area. Do, do you know the uh, the history of the of the toll booth, or have you brushed up on it for your customers? Yes, like I had to kind of look into it a bit and see what what's all all about, you know. So I live, we live just close to the Mount Notty. Um, the Montage Hotel as well gave us great support and kind of great feedback and all the rest of it, you know. Um, it's, it's great how people are actually standing together during this whole yeah. this whole pandemic, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's fabulous. Like. And great to see a new business set up. Yeah, Someone wants to know, is there a gluten-free version available? Yeah, it, it, my, my, my main issue with the gluten-free is that the space is so small. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of doing um, kind of a dismantled bunny chow um, which the bread is kind of pre-wrapped, the gluten-free bread. Um, but there could be still traces of 
of gluten inside, you know, because yeah. the space is so small. So yeah. um, it, it is kind of a tricky one. Like, well, you know? yeah, would gluten-free bread, because we have some history of it in our house, would gluten-free bread hold its shape when you pour a curry into it? Oh, it, it definitely would. It definitely would. Um, the quicker you eat it, the better, like, you know. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, the, the sauce of the curry actually soaks quite a bit into the bread. Um, so the quicker you can rip the packet open and, and use the old hands and stick stick your hands in it and get going, <laughs> the better, like, no. you know. <laughs> At a time when we're washing our hands more times a day and we can't remember, there's a good reason to wash it. <laughs> Listen, good luck with it, Chris. Before I let Thank you go, you do you know where yeah. I've eaten something like this, actually? Um, is and I realised afterwards what it was. There's a there was a there's a hotel. It's a pub a, a pub actually in Killarney, okay. right? Yeah. And they serve a soup of the day, a big, thick, chunky vegetable soup inside oh, yeah. in a big bread roll. That's it. Yeah. That's it. No harm. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> you never <Absolutely>. finish. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, good luck with it, mate. Take Listen, care. Peter, thank you very much. And once again, thank you very much Cheers. for all the support. You know? Cheers. No, no problem. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's great. 1857-15996. Gazbo Cork. You'll find him. Yeah, we aren't shamelessly advert. The guy's after setting up a business in the middle of a pandemic. Somebody was given out about using the toll boot. Why? Would you rather it lay idle? It's a great little place. Great little idea. Absolutely. Right, few more things to do with our various topics of conversation during the morning. We've been very busy. Junior infants teacher has contacted us to say, what has changed in schools since December? Nothing. It's great putting junior and senior infants back to the two classes that don't and can't understand the term social distance. Honestly, I wonder who makes these decisions. We're nothing but a lab experiment. And it's a disgrace, which is what Sean was saying in his email earlier on about being a leaving cert. He feels that he's a lab rat in, in an experiment. Uh, I'm a junior infants teacher. I'll have 26 people in my tiny classroom all day. Why do they think that's okay, yet they have their doll sittings at the convention centre? Why are teachers also so low on the vaccination list? Yes, and while you're at it, why are the guards not vaccinated yet? Why are firefighters not vaccinated yet? Why are social workers working with families? Why are they not vaccinated yet. What plan have they for the guards or the firemen, or indeed the teachers? That's something we might ponder over the next day or two. Valerie got my insurance quote, 858. I said I get cheaper quotes because the car's in the drive, and I'm only going to Dunn's, and they very quickly came back and offered 735. They make it up as they go along, seems sometimes. Right, that's it. Program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Mind yourselves, we'll see you tomorrow just after nine.